It's time to add some spice to your nooner. Nooner. <laughs> Funny. This is the place where big-time guests, bold opinions, and little cute doggies come together. This, this is Rothman and Ice. All right, here we go. 73 wonderful degrees. Knee-deep in November here in Seabus. That's the way to start it off. This is Rothman and Ice, presented by your local Pella Window and Door Showroom on Gemini Parkway. The fan, Ohio sports destination, Anthony mm. Rothman, Matty ICB. How are we doing, fellas? Oh, hey, R, my man. We are doing just fine in my neck of the woods. You mentioned the weather. That's phenomenal. It looks like tomorrow we'll have a nice day as well. And it's just, it's great to hear Matty Andrews and his update throw in that we get the Masters this week in the heart Master. of football season. Right. The Masters. Oh. Like, it's great. This is going to be a strong week. And we got Maryland on deck. So, no, I'm good, man. Yeah, we'll do our uh, Masters long shots later on in the program, I'm sure. Uh, we'll go over Ohio State Rutgers and a tale of two halves and kind of a, a sloppy, weird uh, Felix the Cat and, and, you know, and all the bag of tricks and everything that was going on uh, with Rutgers and, and how much are we going to charge Ohio State with that and how much are we going to credit Rutgers with that. We'll see. I think when it happens, when it's, when it's Rutgers, it always feels worse. It feels worse, like you're willing to give more credit to a team that's a little more branded football-wise that, hey, they pulled one out on you. Okay, tip the cap, but, you know, we'll talk about how Ohio State could have and probably should have put the hammer down on them. Bill Bender, Sporting News, 1233. We'll party like a Rothstar at 1248. Got to talk about those Indiana fighting Hoosiers taking down that team up north. How about it? Big, big, big branded win. I found the cassette tape. The last time Indiana beat Michigan, there was yes. a certain kid on the announce calling the play-by-play of that. The only problem is there's never a boombox around when you need one. Some acid jeans, maybe some tapered jeans. Yes. Uh, there are some concert buttons on a jean jacket somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. But, and by the way, I still have in the package, you know, going to find these cassette tapes. And I, Maddie, I had a... You're you're way too young to know what tape to tape was. Tape to tape, when the boombox came with a double cassette, and you could make you could go tape to tape, and make your own mixtape, or record a copy for your girl, or whatever some sort of you know love themes by AR. And here you go. Here's the mixtape. I like that. Um, when you when the, we had that capability prior to the CD coming out. It was a big deal. And then when the boombox, the boombox actually got a little bit more tapered itself. A little more, you know, a little more mobile. Uh, you didn't have to like hoist that thing up on your shoulder and, and, and blare it right into your eardrum. Uh, but I did find the cassette tape and I, so here's the, here's the deal. So I'm calling play by play that game, driving rainstorm, Indiana beats Michigan, the general Bob Knight in the booth next to us. 1410 Indiana. I, I haven't been able to listen to this in a long time, um, probably because my, my voice is probably about eight octaves higher. We know that. And the other part is my, my uh, uh, color analyst, this, this may be the best name of anyone in any, any uh, color role. His name was Steve Dull, mm. D-U-L-L. And I started looking around for Steve. I don't, I wasn't, we all worked at the radio station there. And we were probably paired together for that game. And I want to try to find him 
and see if he remembers calling that game as well. But I got it, and I do have now. I put out the feelers for a little cassette recorder, and we have it. We have it. It's six degrees of separation. Uh, I have that. I'm going to try to listen to it and see if I can get a little clips and then and then pull a full 2020 on that thing and record that on my phone <laughs> and then try to, uh, you know, have it for a little keepsake. But I do have uh, all those games on cassette tape, and I'm glad I kept them. But, yeah, it was a big branded win. We'll talk about that, whether it means that Indiana is just better than Michigan or does it mean that Indiana is for real as far as being a – a contender, no one's going to sleepwalk on them. That's for sure. They have now arrived. And I think the bottom line is it's just so great to see for a program like that. I mean, it's just, it, it really restores what we all, why we all watch sports for a lot of reasons, which is, you know, that all things are possible and, and that you can get some belief and confidence and start to build a foundation. And as corny as it sounds, Indiana's been knocking at that door for a while. They never had a defense that could contend. They ne- they all they could score enough to kind of to stay in a game, but the defense would always let them down. And when they needed it the most, the defense gave them their best, and they picked off Milton when after Michigan cut it to ten early in the fourth quarter. And you're like, uh oh, here we go. And then Indiana shut the door. So that was a good win. We'll talk about that. And then where does Michigan go from here? Um, but we will begin with Ohio State and Rutgers and. I just saw on Pro Football Focus College, there's a new highest-graded QB in college football. His name is Justin Fields. 94.0 is what they have him graded out. Highest-graded quarterback in college football. And I was kind of – I know Ohio State wants to be balanced. They want to try to get this running game going, and they want to establish dominance. And then once they do that, then they got you. Then they got you because their play action is just going to kill you. And it was, I was almost starting to yell at the TV on Saturday night, like, just throw it more. Just throw it more. Like, um, let him do it. Let him be your weapon. And I, but it just seems to me, and this is probably right in the long run. They're they're hell bent on trying to create some sort of a physical running game with Teague and Sermon, and they threw Chambers in later on. And I just I'm just don't know how much they're going to get there. They don't have a true home run game breaker. Teague certainly peels off chunks. But what was your feel about? Uh, how that game unfolded offensively. You know, it's, I, I'm glad that you brought up the running game because I think it's – I don't know if it's a major concern in my mm-hmm. mind. It, it just – the vibe that I have around the running game right now is that there's still more meat left on the bone. And I, I don't know if a guy like Steel Chambers maybe blew an opportunity mm-hmm. or opportunities down the road where you put the ball on the turf a couple times, right? And we know how that can work with a coaching staff and those guys not really having confidence in players that are going to turn the ball over. Because when I'm watching Steel Chambers run the football and he had that run on the fake there, mm-hmm. he looks like he has some juice. He has a little bit more of that jolt, a little bit more of that wiggle than the other guys. I thought Master Teague and Trey Summer were fine, but I think there's a little bit missing there. And I don't think you want to go to the Justin Fields run game just this early in the season. I know we're three games in, only got a handful to go, but we know that's another layer to the running game that they can go to. But it just has a vibe to me right now that there's a little bit missing, a little bit of a mm-hmm. spark. And I don't want to put it all in the running backs. I think the offensive line hasn't been as consistent as I thought they would be coming into the season with yeah. all the talent that they have there and the All-American you know, statures and you know all the, the love that they get, and rightfully so, based off how they played 
a year ago. But there's something missing there. And I think a guy like Steel Chambers, he can be that guy. Mm-hmm. But we just saw what he did this past weekend, making a couple mistakes, returning the football over. And I just don't think that that's going to go well uh, with the coaching staff because you can't have that inside of a championship season. So, like I said, I don't think it's – that big of an issue right now, but coming off a season where we saw how special J.K. Dobbins was, there's a little bit missing there in the running game, but you touched on it, AR. They've got an elite passing game, arguably the best in college football right now, with probably the best mm-hmm. player in college football right now spinning the pill in Justin Fields. 11 touchdown passes, 11 incompletions. He has been ridiculous so far this season. You could almost make a case that his incompletions are drops. Yeah. They're not incompletions. A lot of them are drops. And and you can name – I mean, even Olave's first one on the touchdown earlier in the season, you know, high-pointing it. It's, he has been – he's more than lived up to everyone's expectations early on the season. But this has always been about building a championship team. And while they're only in, you know, this early part of the season, I think that's what we're measuring them against. You know, how good can they become? And they have time. They have time to improve. I can't, and only the coaches would know this, with really watching tape and really talking to their players, how much of this is lack of discipline and how much is this are they getting beaten? Because I know when you mention the offensive line, that's where my mind goes. And the amount of holdings. Uh, Harry Miller, again and again. Uh, Wyatt Davis got nailed for holding. The penalties, the lack of discipline. And and here's these are always difficult games to talk about. You know, we only have one game to talk about. They played Rutgers. That's the game we're going to talk about. And you and I can't come in on a Monday and just brush everything away because it's a W and then move on to the next week. But you also don't want to harp on it too much, right? Because it's a win. They're up 35-3. Maybe you can chalk it up to relaxing. Maybe you can chalk it up to the trick plays that not every team will run on them. But you and I like to come in, and we want to we want to view these things in a vacuum. We want to we want to look at these games because that's how the coaches look at them. Like mm-hmm. you and I aren't going to look back at the Rutgers game where Harry Miller was called for a handful of holdings and say, "Up, oh, that that was the fork in the road of the season." Of course not. It's not that that will not be it. If anything, you almost want them to have a coachable team for the next several weeks where they don't feel like they're kings of the world. Like that's always the danger point. I think for a coach is when his team is almost overconfident going into game. So he's got their attention and it may be, it may be building in, in a good way. It just, is it building in a great way? And that that's yet to be seen, but yeah, when I watch that game and and we'll go through it um, at 35, three at half, you almost feel like you've done not a whole lot right other than throw the football. And you feel like, okay, are you going to, is it going to be 70 to six? Like, cause you didn't really play that well and you're up 35 to three. And you know, I watched them come out and Wyatt Davis gets that holding. They're driving again and he gets that holding. And now they're in a, now they're, they're in a third and 20 and fields doesn't just throw for the first down. He takes off. He's more than happy to just take off. He knows he's not going to get the first down. Can't get a first down in third and 20 with him just taking off to the sideline. But I guess they're in a live to fight another day. They wind up punting, and they get into a situation where Rutgers, Rutgers has three points with 10 minutes to go in the third, and they're on their own nine-yard line. Now, at that point, it's 
done. It's takeover time. You either want to put them down and put them down hard, or you just want to watch the time tick away. And I think Rutgers, I'm going to give them credit, and Shiano credit here. His team had the mindset of, we're playing a football game from kick to finish. We're going to make you put the nail in us. And they give up that 66-yard run on that direct snap to Pacheco. And nobody knows who has it. It was one of the great plays I've seen in a long time. There wasn't a lot of misdirection. It wasn't a double reverse. It was none of that. It was a simple dude sliding in, taking a direct snap behind those big bodies. Quarterback sells it amazingly well, fakes the snap going over the head. The motion receiver sells the fake that he has it. Gant is in the backfield chasing the quarterback. Werner's chasing the motion man. Hooker's got a bad angle and a high attempt, and this dude is out the gate. And the whole game kind of changed on that because they double that up right away with the sprint right, tackle eligible left. Just a great play. And that one I'm not even blaming Ohio State on. That is just, that's Raekwon O'Neal blocking Zach Harrison. Is that, who's going to buy the fact that, that O'Neal is going to release to the left on a dead sprint right as a left tackle and, and him spin back and throw that ball? Yeah. Like, after chipping on Harrison. Right. So it's, it's one of those things that, and then I get to this point, and I know, and we'll, we'll do it all in the next segment. It's still only 35 to 9. Like, there's your wake-up call, Ohio State. There's your wake-up call. Two trick plays, 90-yard drive, or whatever it was, 91-yard drive. They score on you. There's your wake-up call. Now go hammer them. Now go hammer them. And they responded, and it was just one play after the next that Rutgers stayed alive, in the, at least for a respectability. So uh, I get to this point where we almost judge it on – and this is how Vegas, right? Did they cover, right? They didn't cover. You know, they were giving up, what, 38 and a half points. You and I and CB all predicted they would, that it would be a, a hammer. And at 35-3, we thought it would be, and it wasn't. So uh, credit to Rutgers for a lot of trick plays. And Ohio State, undisciplined, way too many penalties, got fooled on some trickery. And then you found yourself having to play a four-quarter game with your starting quarterback, who you probably would have pulled a lot earlier. Yeah, and real quick, because I know we got to hit a break here, and I just wanted to bring that point up about something I heard from Coach Day after the game, because he did mention that he was looking for his squad to come out in that first handful of minutes, five to six minutes in the second half, and really keep their foot on the gas. That way they could get some of those guys um, that usually don't play a ton into the game, because I thought it was big this week in particular, especially for the secondary, to get some more rotational pieces in there, some of those young guys coming off the Cam Brown injury. So, I'm not going to freak out too much about some of those trick plays because I think you laid it out really well with what was going on there. And I don't think we'll run into some of those situations moving mm-hmm. forward. It's just the fundamentals on some of those plays. Guys taking right. bad angles and, you know, just missing on tackles. That's what I saw a lot of that, especially on that fake uh, touchdown or that fake that went for a touchdown on the throwback and all that good stuff. So just the minor things. And that's what you got to do, right? When you're a championship mm-hmm. contender, you got to hone in on those, on those little things as, as well with the good. Yeah. All right. We'll break it down a little further when we come back. We'll talk about the big one with Notre Dame and Clemson later on the show and how that might impact things. And we'll get after it. We got Jason Hershorn, Pro Football Writers of America at 133. We'll talk to Dan Hope of 11 Warriors. 
lot to do today. Rookie of their leagues get released in MLB, I believe, tonight. You and I will make our predictions as well. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Rothman and Ice is sponsored by your local Pella Window and Door showroom on Gemini Parkway. The fan, Ohio sports destination. They both like to go to raves with the Bosa brothers. Here's Rothman and Ice. All right, Rothman and Ice. Want to remind you, over there at Wendy's, breakfast just got a whole lot tastier. What's better than one Wendy's breakfast sandwich, you ask? How about two Wendy's breakfast sandwiches? Good answer, Rothman. Now through December 6th, area Wendy's are giving fans the the, uh, delicious choice, Maddie. Uh, Pick two breakfast sandwiches for $4. Tried and true reason to rise up. Wendy's is bringing the ultimate morning win. Wendy's fans can snag two craveable breakfast sandwiches out of three choices. Uh, So Maddie's at the line. Uh, He just got fouled on a three. Uh, I missed one. Now he's got to make both, so he's got two to get three here. The Honey Butter Chicken Biscuit. Enjoy a crispy chicken filet, perfectly seasoned, topped with maple honey butter on a fluffy buttermilk biscuit. It's sweet, it's savory, and it's a great reason to get out of bed in the morning. Or the classic bacon, egg, and cheese, a fresh cracked grade A egg, applewood smoked bacon, melted American cheese on a warm breakfast roll, or the classic sausage, egg, and cheese. Same drill, but grilled sausage, melted American cheese on the warm breakfast roll. It's how mornings were meant to begin. So go to Wendy's right away for your morning fix on these great breakfast sandwiches. Get your two for four bucks. Wendy's, we got you for a limited time only. Offer valid a limited time during breakfast hours only. I got a text uh, from a buddy of mine, uh, Jeffrey Chanel, number five. He's too young. Here is the uh, the quote. Uh, Felix the cat and tape-to-tape references. Poor Maddie. All he can do is go along for the ride. You know, you, okay, please tell me one of you guys that blew the parquet floor at the garden question have heard Felix the cat, the wonderful, wonderful cat, when Shiano reaches into his, when, when Shiano gets in a fix, he reaches into his bag of tricks. Nothing. I, I got nothing on that. Man. That hurts I, me. I, I know it's, it's <laughs> Felix the cat, the wonderful, nothing. No, oh I, pro- I promise really? you, I got nothing. Look, I, I know a little bit about cassette tapes, but we were in the kind of window there where we were doing the burn CDs. We were burning yeah. CDs. So I understood where you were going with that. I felt the vibe that you were throwing out there because we Burn were doing it. the same things. You was had that, that legal? CD. Was that all legal-like? <laughs> well, you know, that's the conversation for another day. But just know we had some great CDs riding around in our high school days, man. So I feel you on that. What is that, Napster? What do we got going there? LimeWire. LimeWire. Lime wire. Oh, my. <laughs> buffering, <was> buffering, <laughs> buffering, <laughs> right. processing. Come oh, on. Dude. Can I get the whole song here? Uh, <laughs> oh, my. That was that was good. That's Yeah, yeah try to get the old LimeWire in a nice dial-up. <laughs> see if you can <laughs> grab times, one, one song an hour or whatever you're getting. Oh, um, but, you know, you go back to this uh, this game against Rutgers, yeah. and, and uh, you know, it seems like we go through this. Every year, it's like you and I will will come in, we'll do the show, they'll either sleepwalk through a second half against a, a big, overmatched opponent, and then you and I have to come in here and either be Debbie Downer on why Ohio State didn't live up to it, or then we get the opposite, you know, hammer. Oh, you're just wiping away all the stuff that they did wrong. And so we try to hit it all, and, I, you know, Rutgers was heavily overmatched. No one's going to deny that. They just don't have the players, and that's why it takes a good coach like Shiano 
to 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 draw up things that help them compete, and that's yep. what he did. He's got a couple good players. We talked about the running quarterback in Bedrall. We talked about Pacheco last week. Mm-hmm. Like uh, did it on the pregame show. I talked about Bo Melton. That's a senior, and so. But when I go through like. I don't even know where to begin on this game because if I, I like to go to that point where I left off at 35-9. You just got the wake-up call. They just trick-played their way down the field on you and scored. It's now time. You know, uh, G. Scott recovers that ans- onside kick, which, by the way, he definitely secured the ball, and there's no I know, there's no clue how they could rule that Rutgers ball, even though he, Aziz came out with it. Um, but, yeah, he's down by contact, so they get it right. Um, and then, you know, nobody covers Rucker. He lines up as an H-back. It's 42-9. So Ohio State answered the bell after the trickery. They answered the bell, 42-9. It's like, okay, now defense holding to single digits. And, and you get to a point where uh, it's fourth and seven. And this is why this is where games – I'm not saying Rutgers was ever going to quit, but I think you could have taken a little bit of their drive out when – on that on that next drive, okay. So, so let's think this out. Rutgers went goes ninety one yards on you in trick plays. Congratulations, tip your hat, unbelievable, well designed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they probably would have fooled Clemson. They would have fooled Alabama. It wasn't just on Ohio State. I don't know anybody that's covering that tackle eligible near the goal line. So, but then they come back down the field. You get popped for twelve men on the field, and on fourth and seven, Teron Vincent gets a face mask. And so they're off the field. I mean, they're going. It's fourth and seven, and they try a quarterback draw. They try a yeah. quarterback draw on fourth and seven. So not only does he have to to get back to the line of scrimmage for you know four yards, he's got to then run another seven on you. So they weren't even going to throw the ball there. And Vincent face masks him, and then and then Jamani Haskins at six five high points it over Wade. Wade gets victimized again. Now it's forty two fifteen, and then the Bucks go three and out on their own goal line, uh, or pretty much in the shadow of their own end zone. And then what does Rutgers do? Oh, well, we got the momentum again. Well, why don't we just uh, throw it across the field on a uh, cross pass on a Music City Miracle punt return? And Xavier Johnson is running by the guy, and Melton's yeah. reversing his field, and Crispin had a shot, and Chambers had a shot. And now it's a 42-21, and they've missed three two-point conversions. It's 42-21, and they've gone for three two-point conversions. They missed, right? I mean, they've mm-hmm. – they – there was a time in that game where Ohio State got the wake-up call that I would not charge them with. Those were great plays by Rutgers. They just had a tr- they had trouble putting them away, and I I'm not I don't know I'm not in the locker room. I don't know why they couldn't just put the nail in them. You give more credit to Rutgers, or what do you think? Is just I, absolutely yeah. I think you got to tip your cap, like you said, and I think. On that punt touchdown return there, I mean, Olave's there initially, right? So if you don't have a, a trick play, you have it covered really mm-hmm. well. So I think maybe Steel Chambers was a little bit behind the Olave there on the punt. So in normal circumstances, that thing is lined up correctly and they probably get off the field. It's the guys that you mentioned there that are just over-pursuing and not breaking down and tackling like they needed to to really put that stuff to bed. So a lot of the things that I saw in, in the second half, and you, you laid them out exactly talking points that I think should be brought up are just things that you want to see cleaned up when you Mm -hmm. get to some of these games moving forward because Maryland and we know the big one after that is Indiana and what they can present so far this season I think has been impressive so that's the only reason why you got to highlight these things because when you get into some of these games that may get a little prickly and may get a little sticky you can't have those mistakes and then on the offensive line you mentioned Harry Miller there because those are chunk plays that are coming back right you're talking about Mm -hmm. pass plays from you know Justin Fields to certain guys I think in Jigba got one or I can't remember the receivers 
in particular, but those are plays of 10 to 15 plus uh, and more. So you really need those plays when you get into some games that may yeah. be highly contested. I did want to bring up really quick, mm-hmm. I think uh, something that I thought was a positive that continued mm-hmm. from last weekend, it's the tight end usage, right? You mentioned Jeremy mm-hmm. Ruckert there, and now this is two weeks in a row where we've seen him get in the end zone. I just love the play call there on that yep. TD where they go up 21 to 3. I think that had that play action roll out there. Uh, but Rucker does a good job of selling that too, right? So you got to have those little details. And I just noticed that on that touchdown there to where he does a great job selling um, the fake and then goes back outside and then Justin delivers with some good touch. So that was one positive that I like because we know how much of a challenge mm-hmm. it is for defenses to really try to slow down Olave and Wilson. But now if we're going to get this tight end usage at this clip, I think it's only going to open up for the offense a little bit more. Yeah, that's the one that made it 42 to 9. That's the one where he lines up as an H back. And that's how they, and then it's a great throw by Justin. Really good throw, uh, how he puts it in there. And that is, you're right. It's, it's when you have to defend Ohio State and you just don't have enough bodies and the tight end is the last on your priority list. Yeah. And so I'm thrilled to see that Ohio State is scheming who is last. I mean, you can throw it to Olave all day and Wilson all day, but if last on their priority list is covering the tight end, then then get him, and that's what they did. So I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out. And, and real quick, yeah. to add to that as well, we saw Jamison Williams pop one for a deep touchdown pass again. So His that's only catch a, of the night. And that's it, right? And but it, that right there, the fact that that's on yeah. film and they know that he's got elite speed, yeah. there's just so many good layers to this passing game. I'm just really encouraged by the tight end really coming into the mix now because I think it's such a deadly weapon and Rutgers a talented guy. That's a first and 10. I love when Ohio State throws on first down. That's a broken coverage. That's Rutgers rushing four. That's all the time in the world. And that's Williams out and up and just burns through the zone and there's nobody there. That's the first series of the game. It's his only catch of the night and it's a big one. And so that's what Ohio State can do. So uh, we'll talk more about the game and about the whole landscape of college football next with Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Rothman and Ice on the fan. It's Reaction Monday. All our expertly trained dummies break down all the football action from the weekend. Sponsored by Taco Bell. The fan, Ohio sports destination. Insightful and thought-provoking sports conversation for your lunch hour. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. All right, welcome back. Great to open up the Brian Heating Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline and welcome on, in formal terms, our man, William Bill Bender. He is from the Sporting News, college football expert. Billy, good to have you. Uh, it's been a while. I didn't want to have you on right after the Vikes went into Lambeau, uh-huh. but uh, you know, there's no reason we can't still talk about it. I'm kidding. Um, but but we, are, we are on a little bit of roll. Don't forget about us. Uh, let me ask you this, Bill. And I know you're on in Columbus OH, but I know you'll answer this honestly, and maybe it will be the Buckeyes. Who is the if you're voting, who is the best team in college football today? I'd probably vote Alabama number mm-hmm. one and Ohio State number two, and it's really close. I mean, it's one A, one B. I think what Alabama's done with that offense, um, pretty complete, even without Jalen Waddle. But I mean, it's hard to ignore what Ohio State's doing with Justin Fields. He's been flawless. I don't know if. I've seen a quarterback play that well at that high a level. Mm-hmm. The ball's barely touching the ground, Anthony. But, yeah. I mean, if we're going off biggest victory, I mean, you'd probably have to go with the Irish based on what they did Saturday night in South Bend. 
Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely huge for them to get that dub, Bill. And thanks for hopping on, man. I want to hone in on the Buckeyes with you a little bit now. Because AR and I, when we talk about the game, we peel back all the layers and we hone in on some things that we liked and some things that they probably, you know, want to get better at and work on. So I wanted to ask you that question. When you look at this Ohio State team, we've seen them now uh, three games in. Is there an area of concern for you when you watch them play? I mean, back seven sometimes. At times, I mean, Rutgers didn't move the ball, but I think that could be an issue of complacency. I think Alabama and Ohio State literally face the same criticisms, is that their offense can overwhelm you so much that sometimes it stresses the defense, and they give up more points than we think. And you kind of get out that report card, you know what I mean? And you kind of want to make it a B or a B- minus when if the offense is performing at that high level, it might not matter. If Alabama and Ohio State went out and played tomorrow, I think we'd see a game not all that unlike the the Sugar Bowl that we saw six years ago. It'd probably be a 42-38 thriller either way. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Ohio State is certainly building here, and Indiana knocks off Michigan. And I said to Maddie before the show, you know, Indiana's Indiana's good enough to beat equal or lesser teams now. They are. I, I I know on paper it looks like they've beaten teams that are technically better than them in Penn State and Michigan. But have we learned now, Bill, that that's not the case? That it's not the case? That, that Indiana is just better? That these aren't true upsets, correct? I, I The Penn State, I feel like the Nittany Lions did themselves in with the mistakes and the missed field goals and the interceptions. Saturday was different because you can't objectively look at that game and say – you know, Michigan had more talent than Indiana. They certainly didn't have it on the outside. They certainly didn't have it up front. They didn't have it at quarterback either. I mean, Michael Penix Jr. outplayed Joe Milton. And I think Indiana is good enough to beat teams like that. But that, compared mm-hmm. to the mountain you have to climb against Ohio State, that's a different story. Um, Indiana and Northwestern are good stories. They're not good enough to beat Ohio State. You know, Bill, uh, real quick, bringing it back to the Buckeyes, because I think for some Buckeye fans out there, myself included, I'm looking at this running game, and I just think there's a little bit more meat left on the bone, and maybe that's going to take time. you got a new guy in Trey Sermon, and, uh, you know, Master T's coming off an injury, but uh, Steel Chambers has been popping off the screen to me, but we mentioned earlier that he's put the ball on the turf a couple times, and we know coaches don't trust that uh, when they see something like that. So when you look at these running backs, is there a guy that's impressed you maybe more so than the others? I mean, they're all three about the same, right? They all do things. It, it's a committee, and then not one guy has emerged, and you're trying to find that right guy behind J.K. Dobbins. That's one small difference between Ohio State and the other three heavyweights right now. In Alabama, there's no doubt who the guy is. Clemson, you know, a big reason why Clemson lost that game Saturday night is they couldn't run the football with their stud, Travis Etienne. He wasn't getting much going on the ground. And then, of course, uh, Notre Dame's got a good running back, too scores two touchdowns in the overtime period. They can run the football. That's the best Notre Dame team I've seen in years. And because, And I don't think they have a superstar. Um, Ian Book's good. But that reminded me of some of Lou Holtz's old teams that maybe not a superstar out there, but collectively they play complementary football really well. Uh, top four right now in, in both are Bama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Clemson. Now we know that, that Florida is going to get their shot, but let's say Alabama takes care of them and Clemson comes back with Lawrence and beats Notre Dame in an ACC title game. Is it going to depend for you on how those games look, or do you foresee that the four right now will be the four? I would say here's 
the two scenarios I see unfolding. Let's say Clemson crushes Notre Dame in the ACC championship game. Then Oregon may be, be able to make it. Uh, Oregon, if they go undefeated, I don't. You know, quarterback looked decent on Saturday. Defense is pretty good. If Notre Dame wins, that would open up the door for Oregon, possibly. It could open up a door. And I think, I mean, call me crazy, I think it's kind of open for the Cincinnati Bearcats. I like them a little bit more than BYU Mm -hmm. um, just because of their schedule. They beat good teams. And, you know, the Bearcats could get in that mix. But the perception will matter. The score will matter in the Notre Dame-Clemson rematch. But Notre Dame did their part by taking care of business at home. What if they lose a close one? What if it's not the crushing that you just said? What if it's, even with Lawrence back, very competitive and and it's a four-quarter game? Then what? Then I think both get in. Mm-hmm. And Oregon, if, especially if Oregon loses. So I think your playoff field, and to me the four best teams are those four. You would get Ohio State or, or Alabama in the one spot, the other in the two, because another one of those teams is going to lose. You can replay that if it happens, I suppose, but I'm pretty confident in that. Um then it would Clemson would get the three, Notre Dame would get the four. I don't know about you guys. I think the most normal thing we could get out of 2020 or the most exciting thing would be a potential Rose Bowl between Ohio State and Notre Dame. I'd take that all day. I'm in. Sign me up for that. Last one for me, Bill. I want to ask you about Maryland and where you are with them because I've been impressed with Tua's brother, Talia Tungavailoa, over the last couple of weeks. They put it on Penn State uh, this past weekend. What do you think are some problems maybe they could present this upcoming weekend? Well, I mean, they've got an offense that can score points. And that, over time, if Mike Loxley can recruit in that area of the country, they're going to be all right. Um, you know, Ohio State knows that. they got Dwayne Haskins and Chase Young from that part of the country. There's a really good high school ball there. Um, so if Talia can keep them moving the football, if they can be patient with the running game. But I think it comes down to it's what Ohio State and Alabama do best is they overwhelm you with this offense that can put up 40 points i mean if justin fields plays the way he did saturday in the first half there won't be much to this one either all right i'll leave you with this one in our final minute and i and we'll have to go on a a little bit of a hypothetical that uh you know this michigan wisconsin game is actually going to get played that wisconsin will have to go with what they have and jim harbaugh situation continues to to just go the wrong direction let's say he loses to ohio state again does he get his last year of his contract? A 500 or less season is going to prompt some really tough questions. You could chalk it up to COVID and say, go coach one more year. We'll see what happens. Or you start kicking the tires on all these guys. And in 30 seconds, the best names for Michigan that could coach that job, I don't know who would want it. Um, Luke Fickle, Jeff Halfley, those are Ohio State ties. Matt Campbell's a good name, but is he really bigger than Harbaugh? Um, they're going to face a lot of tough questions this offseason. I personally think he'll coach one more year unless he leaves on his own terms at the end of the year, if that makes sense. It does. No, that does. All right, Bill, great stuff, man. I always uh, love catching up with you. Be well, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, no problem. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. Thanks, Bill. Thanks. Bill Bender, Sporting News on the Bryant Heating Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. We'll come back, see who partied like a Roth star this weekend. Rothman and Ice on the fan. All your favorite fan shows are available when you want them. Head to 971thefan.com and hit that subscribe button. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. Let's all gather into the Kiki. It's time to party like a Roth star. Mm. Outside of uh, Maddie and myself, Maddie, who do you have? You know, I'm going to go with a man 
that was born on September 17th, hmm. 1995 in Tyler, Texas. Patrick Levon Mahomes the second was partying like a raw star this yeah. weekend. I'm watching these games yesterday. And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm just like, I don't know what you do. I don't know how you stop him or this Chiefs offense. 30 of 45, four touchdown passes. He also decided to make some history in this game as well, yeah. becoming the fastest to throw for 100 touchdown passes <laughs> in NFL history. Patrick Mahomes, quarterback for the Chiefs, arguably the best player in the league, partying like a roster this weekend. Who was the previous fastest? I think I saw mm-hmm. this this morning. Is it mm-hmm. Danny? Dan Marino? That is correct. Okay. Ding, 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 ding. All right. Good job. Redeemed. (laughs) Redemption. The redeemed team. Um, All right. You know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. They're cooking in purple again. All this stuff about Zimmer's so bad and fire him now and (laughs) the Vikes suck and it's over and Tank City and sell off everything. Yes. Somehow coming out of that bye – and you guys know, I, I talked to you about this off the air, and I just didn't have the guts to go all in on the trade. I talked to both of you. I said, I want to get Dalvin Cook. I want to pry him out. Do I have enough to offer? And I was going to give Mixon and DJ Moore for Dalvin. Now, remember, Mixon had been dinged, and so had Dalvin. Dalvin was coming off an injury and, you know, a tweaking. And then there was this mindset the Vikings might just bubble him up, like protect him. Yeah. Well, you're paying them a lot. The season's going down the drain. So I I didn't think that was a horrible trade. Now, in hindsight, if I would have offered Lockett and Mixon mm-hmm. for Cook, do you think I would have gotten him? I think so. I think so. He's been out of control, man. But I think that trade gets it done for you. Yeah, I think Lockett coming off that huge day yep. a couple weeks ago, and I just didn't have the guts to pull the trigger, and now I'm single-handedly killing myself because Dalvin Cook's fantasy points – over the last two weeks, 47.60 and 38.20. It's unbelievable. I'm doing my math right. What is that? 85 points? 86 points? You told me. In two games? Math, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's unbelievable. It's incredible. Man. And now, you know, it's not that I have any delusions that they're going to come back and make the playoffs. But it's not like it's crazy out of the realm of possibility if you look around the NFC. Yeah. With they don't have to, you're not you're not competing with the East, and you get the extra you get the extra playoff spot this year. Yep. And if they can somehow right the ship and and beat the Bears, I got to look at their schedule again. But you know someone's getting the wild card out of the South. You know someone's getting the wild card out of the West. And really, you're only that third one's going to be either can you snatch it from the Rams. And can you snatch it from the Bears? Like, I'm not going to go crazy here. But at least you control a little bit of your destiny. If you're Minnesota, as I peek at their schedule, they go to Chicago on Monday night next week. Yeah. That's it. That's your season. You beat them. All things are possible because you're playing Dallas and Jacksonville. And you can somehow climb back into it. Yeah, it's not crazy at all. I mean, Dalvin Cook's been absolutely incredible. He has been on one, and it was never a question of talent with him coming out of college, right? It was just healthy, and, you know, he's been nicked up in the NFL, but when he is in there, he is arguably the best back in the league. I know you could take Derrick Henry, maybe Saquon or Zeke when he's got an offensive line in front of him, but right now Dalvin Cook is trying to hold down that spot, and I wouldn't be mad at anybody that wanted to call him the best running back in the National Football League right now. I got another guy for you. Yep. 
I was impressed by Kyle Trask this weekend with Georgia beating, I'm sorry, Florida beating Georgia 4 to 44 to 28. Kyle Trask 30 of 43, 474 yards, four touchdowns, did throw a pick in that game. But I, I enjoy watching him play. This was a big time game for Florida. Georgia now with two losses on the year. Kyle Trask partying like a roster, especially going up against a Georgia defense that had a lot of people's respect this season that they've been playing some pretty decent ball on that side of the ball. And Kyle Trask was just doing the darn thing on Saturday. He was partying like a raw star. Can we just throw out a little last little love for little Drew Brees, 41 years old, mm. game has passed him by, no Michael Thomas, Saints not, not even being competitive, you used to, or you don't feel like they could win the Super Bowl, and they come out and they just, and he just shredded a really good defense. And Godwin had, you know, was healthy enough to play first game for AB, um, and those guys were doing nothing essentially on the other side, and we'll talk about it in the next hour. But Drew Brees, that had nothing to do with Tom Brady in the offense. That was Drew Brees slicing and dicing a really good defense. And that thing just turned into a whitewash. How about Drew Brees? Not only outdueling Tommy, but just making him look like dirt Uh, under his cleat. Yeah, it it was a bad, bad game for Tampa. And look, I, I was in the, I was in the mindset of, I haven't seen the real Saints just yet. Because Michael Mm -hmm. Thomas hasn't been there. We know how important he is to their football team. You saw yesterday, right? Michael Thomas is back in the mix. And look, that's that 38 points is legit to me because Tampa's defense has been really good all season long. Drew Brees, the OG, comes back. He balls out. I just think this Saints team now, we're going to see the real New Orleans Saints stand up. Please stand up. Please stand up. I agree. How about you and I, like last night, we're thinking, you know, our original pick of Saints Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and we're like, you know, over the last couple of weeks, like, should we, cha- you know, if we could change to Seattle, would we? And you, we, we, we hung in barely. I think we were both, if we were really pressed on, like if CB said, gun to your head, you have to choose now, I probably would have jumped ship. Glad I probably would have stayed, but I tell you what, mm-hmm. I would have been out if they, after this Tampa game, they lose to Tampa. This is a huge win for them, for their season moving forward. Huge. Uh, Sports Center update, top of the hour. We dive back into the college football landscape and the big games over the weekend. Next, Rothman and Ice on the fan. Broadcasting from the Lindsay Honda Studios. Honda makes the cars. Lindsay makes the difference. Visit lindsayhonda.com. WBNSFM, HD1 Columbus. The Fan. Sports Center. And I'm Timmy Hall. Got a little shakeup in the college polls. If you missed it from this weekend, got hoops polls to tell you about in a second. Ohio State, those days right where they have been at number three. It's a little Notre Dame Clemson sandwich. Bama's the new number one. They've reached a number one ranking for 13 straight seasons. Notre Dame, Ohio State, Clemson, and A&M, the top five. Cincy at 6-0, drops a spot to seventh. Indiana is up to 10th. Wisconsin's still 13th. And maybe some bulletin board material for Chris Holtman's Buckeye Hoop Squad. The All-Big Ten preseason team came out. Zero Buckeyes are on it. Ten players on it with Luca Garza and Io DeSunmu being the only unanimous selections. Luca, preseason player of the year. And Buckeye Hoops currently set to start December 2nd at home against Moorhead State. They get a number 23 ranking in the first college hoops poll. Zags are number one. This one brought to you by your Central Ohio Toyota dealers. Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Breaking sports news on the fan. If you're tired of hearing about Maddie's high school baseball prowess, just wait five seconds until Anthony tells stories about his amateur tennis days. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. All right, welcome back. 
Rothman and Ice with you today. Beautiful day as we tap out the last bit of this uh, summer blast, which has been great. It wasn't just a one a one and done. Yeah, you know, we got real spoiled. So I'm I'm just I'm not going to get greedy here. We got really spoiled with like a week of this and took advantage of it. Hope you guys did. Fan Studio sponsored by Lindsay Honda. Honda makes the cars. Lindsay makes the difference. Visit LindsayHonda.com. You know, hey, so, real, go ahead, real bud. quick, just want to yeah. jump in there because the weather, these are those tricky days where it's like, hey, do I need to cut the AC on? Then at night you get a little chilly. Mm. chilly. Like, do I need to bring the space yep. heater out? Maybe not cut the heat on, but it just gets tricky this time of year, man, because during the day, like today, you go outside right now, you're throwing a polo, T-shirt, and shorts, you're feeling good. Mm. You go out there on that sunset a little bit, maybe you need a little windbreaker and a hoodie. It can get tricky inside the crib, AR, with this type of weather. That's the kind of tricky we can deal with, though. That, that's that's yeah. not bad. Yeah, exactly. Yep. To rock a rhyme that's right on time. I, I would have no problem with this. Maddie's going to go out and he's going to pop that collar. And then he's gonna, it's going to be wait. 78 today. And then it's going to come back. And then he's going to go back into his lair. And he's going to hibernate a little bit and then pray for rain and cold. Because yes. that's what he, that's where he no, lives. No, no cold. No Just cold, but give me the rain. Hun- and wait hunker a second. down. Yeah. You, you think I'm a pop a collar type guy? Like, I, I, I thought you said polo. No. <laughs> See, here's the thing with my polos. I am a button all the way to the top guy. I don't. That's still in, huh? Yeah, it's not bad. I don't know. Is it hanging on? I'm just asking. I'm not. No, no. It's in for me. It's it's in for me when I throw on a polo. I go all the way to the the top. Yeah, absolutely. But the collar up? No, we don't need the collars up. You button all the way to the top. Is that for the look, or is there also a little residual like? Warmth, like what are we looking just, for there? Is I, that one hundred percent just for the look of it? No, yeah, I think it, it is that. It? I, I've just never really liked the old kind of just button flapping in the wind when you got the polo, and then you get into the path where some dudes just got the hairy chest, and we, we just don't need to see all of that. But so you got I, a I go, three button placket there. I mean, you don't have to go all the way down. I mean, can't you just do two? Or is that, or is it yeah, the button in the wrong two, place? But hey, some guys, the hair. We're getting pretty close to the top for some of these guys out there. But, no, it's a look thing for me. It's definitely a look thing. All right. Nice. Yeah, no, listen. Guys are doing, you know, Bubba Watson still does it on the golf course. I don't know. I mean, mean, he used to do it back in the 90s. Mm. I think that's where it was bornded in the 90s. 90s. I think that's where it was birthed, the the all the way up to the top. I'm just surprised that it has still hung on. And if you're you're the one that's making it, you know – Keep hanging on. I give you all the credit in the world. A lot of things are hanging on. You mentioned earlier the jean jacket with the buttons. Like, I'll bust that out every once in a while. That look. I love a nice mm. jean jacket, especially when it gets chilly. You get a, a jean jacket with a hoodie underneath. That's a nice, clean look with some nice shoes, throwing some J's. And there you go, mm. man. You're looking good. Yeah, you're right. The hoodie, the zip hoodie. Zip hoodie, right? I can go eat. Okay. I, I don't mind. I love hoodies, so I'm never going to shy away from embracing a hoodie. I love hoodies. Uh, but if I had to lean towards zipper or non-zipper with the hoodie, I think I'm going to go non-zipper yeah, with too. the hoodie. Yeah, me too. Well, you, yeah, it's just easier to to take the layers off with the zipper. I'm I'm thrilled to hear that you're setting a trend. Just keep me up to date on things. Just, that's all I want to know. Um, so we were, out, we were out at the casino doing a watch party, watching the game, you know, all all into Ohio State. Yeah, 35-3, and then buzz on over to the Clemson game and started watching that. And it's interesting because then they got knocked off, right, because mm-hmm. of Biden's speech, and then you had to go over to USA, and, you know, we had all the TVs on at the casino. Um, you know, I still stand by that it's a good win for Notre Dame, and they had to take it – they had to go all the way down the field. Like, 
there's a lot of that game that's not on Ua Ungalale. Like mm-hmm. that meaning what I mean by that is that you can't just say, well, they didn't have Trevor. Like there's a lot of the game, and that's why I'm happy to see that they they're not getting this huge pass. They're not getting this well, it doesn't matter. It matters. You gotta play defense. There's 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 something to be said for that, and, and everybody knows that Ua Ungalale is really talented. Yeah. But when Notre Dame goes down the field out of them in crunch time, that says something to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with, with Bender. I'll answer my own question. It's Bam and Ohio State right now. Now, it's even though Notre Dame will get credit for that win, they should. Like at this point in time, Notre Dame being 7-0, and beating them, having to come back and do it, like I'm more than willing to give them the credit for that. Uh, they're going to have to do it again. They're going to have to do it again. Whether they have to do it again to get in, you know, my mind says that if they play Clemson really close and that's their only loss in an ACC title game with Trevor, that Clemson gets a little revenge because Clemson's going to have to win it. Clemson's not getting in with two losses to Notre Dame, right? No, no, no. Like, that's it. Like, they're get-out-of-jail. They got their get-out-of-jail free card because they lost their quarterback. Right. But you get one of those. And here's the beauty for Clemson. It's built for them to get the rematch. Like, it, it's, it's going to be really hard for Notre Dame to beat them twice, let alone with Trevor. And so yeah. we, we can play this out in our minds. The odds say that Bama's going to run the table. Although, here's the other thing. And you mentioned Florida earlier. That's no pushover. Mm-mm. That's no pushover. What happens if we get into a situation – Let's try to play this out for, for a weird second. Let's get Ohio State undefeated. We'll get him in. No problem. We'll get him as a two-seed at worst. Right? At worst. Mm-hmm. Yep. Probably. Let's, let's put him in as the two at worst if they go undefeated. I guess you could make the case that Notre Dame would be two if they beat Clemson again. That's where the scheduling comes into play. So I shouldn't say two at worst. I shouldn't say that. Because if Notre Dame runs the table and beats Clemson again with Trevor – how could you not give it to them? Yeah. I, I mean, that's tough. I see what you're saying, though. Yeah, if, if they double down on Clemson, those are two really, really strong victories. And the element of, you know, Trevor Lawrence being there and you beating him, I think that adds a little bit to that. So, yeah, maybe that two-seed isn't as locked in as we thought initially just a few moments ago. You think uh, Clemson, that's a, that's a, yeah. I was going to ask you, do you think Clemson could get in as a four if they lost another close one to Notre Dame and Bama makes sure Florida doesn't cause a problem. Because then you'd have Florida with two losses. You'd have you'd have Clemson with two losses. But what if you get an undefeated UC team? What do you get an undefeated BYU team? What like what happens yeah, that's a lot. To, yeah. against yes. a two loss Clemson teams whose two losses are one without their starting quarterback to Notre Dame in, in extras and one when you have them, like, what are they going to do with Clemson if Notre Dame beats them again? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's a it's a tough scenario to be in, absolutely. But I don't know what that looks like because when you talk about Notre Dame and what they were able to do, it's just it, what mindset are you in as far as how you want to look at Clemson right now? And to me, I think DJ Uyunglele is good enough to where. 
I don't know if they should get a pass for what we saw Saturday because he is a talented guy. He is a quarterback that I think can get them to the college football playoff and beyond mm-hmm. that, who knows. But I think he's good enough now to where I'm not yeah. seeing that Clemson offensively that's having this dramatic drop-off without Trevor Lawrence. I think it's what you brought up, man. I think the concern for Clemson is their defense now because this is two weeks in a row where Boston College got after them and now Notre Dame has put up north of 40 points there. So if Clemson has two losses at the end of the road and that second loss does come to Notre Dame, I don't see – I don't think they're in right now. No. Notre Dame, I'll ask you, was at 47-40 in double OT. It was, it, was a, it was a really good game. Went late. Yep. Uh, knocked Saturday Night Live way off the chart. And, and so it was one of those games that I got to give it to Brian Kelly because it's their first win over a number one team. Now, are, were they a true number one because they had lost their starting quarterback. I, they were number one because they were number one. I don't know if they are number one, and it proved they aren't without Trevor. Like, they lost the game. Mm-hmm. And, and I got to give it to Notre Dame. They went 91 yards on them in the, in, in, in the final two minutes to tie that game and force overtime, right? I mean, I, mm-hmm. that, that's where Clemson – you know, I got to give them the same treatment – you and I sit here and we talk about that, that nightmare of those calls that Ohio State had against Clemson in the Fiesta, and you and I were there watching that in person, and it was a nightmare because that game just kind of goes the other way. On, on and Forget about targeting we can do all day, and, and it's ad nauseum. I, I don't want to do the targeting, but, you know, the interception and all that and an incomplete pass and, and that baloney, like that's, that is one of my biggest pet peeves, and that one was really bad. But at the end of the day... Clemson could have stopped Notre Dame from going down the field and it had nothing to do with Trevor Lawrence, nothing to do with them. Right. And, and Ohio State could have stopped Trevor Lawrence from going 94, 96 yards. They could have. Like, they had the opportunity. So I know that they shouldn't have been in those places at some, at some times, but they were, and they, and they both had – this is a this is a Clemson could have really flexed their muscle on the on defensively and won that game. And so I've got to give Notre Dame some credit. I don't want to give this big I don't want to give Clemson this big pass that they didn't have Trevor. And I also don't want to take it away from Notre Dame because they didn't have Trevor. Like, I agree with you. Clemson was good enough offensively, and th- their defense let them down at the end of that game, and they should pay for it. I'm just mm-hmm. I'm wondering whether we get to a point now, you know, Clemson dropped three spots, and Florida is also a one-loss team, and they went up three spots after beating Georgia, a top five. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida has lost to A&M, pretty good team. Do you have a problem with the rankings right now the way they are? I don't. No, I don't. I don't have a problem with where Notre Dame is, and I think Bama, with what they've done, is deserving to be there. And obviously the Buckeyes, with a very small sample size, mm-hmm. but we knew that coming into the season. We knew mm-hmm. that you know they were going to get the benefit of the doubt because of how much talent that they had, and it's because mm-hmm. Ohio State, and I think that they've proven that um, through three games so far. So I'm good with the rankings right now, yep. but you look at I all am. these teams, whether in the top five, top ten, however you want to look at them, but mainly you know Clemson, Notre Dame, Georgia, you can look at holes and find them for each team, but I think for Clemson, I love that 
you brought it up because it's not the offense to me that's the issue right now. It's not that they have this glaring need. Or I didn't watch the game and say, man, they're really missing Trevor Lawrence. Or man, Trevor Lawrence really would have made a difference here in these spots. It's Williams going for a buck forty, and then last week giving mm-hmm. up two hundred yards total rushing to Boston College, yep. like. That can't be what Clemson is all about because that's such a glaring hole right now. So, no, I'm good with the rankings, but Clemson right now, uh, the tough loss for them. But I, I'm not feeling bad for them because I still no. think even without Trevor Lawrence, they've got enough. They really have enough to compete with the highest teams. I think they proved it Saturday. They just have a, a very weak defense in certain spots right now. I don't know if Ohio State has a championship defense right now. Right that's now fair. they they don't. And so I look at these rankings right now, and I really don't have a huge problem with it. If yeah. Ohio State would have turned the 35-3 to into 70-6, to I don't know if they're not still ranked three yeah. based on what Notre Dame did. It may have been close because I know Ohio State got three first-place votes in the, by the coaches and Notre Dame got four. I think this is fine. Let's see how Notre Dame handles success after knocking off Clemson, after mm-hmm. finally beating a team with a one in front of it. Let, let's see what happens. Because I know they're going to be a couple touchdown favorites over Boston College, and we know what, what, you know what they're about. Let's see how they handle it. Everything's going to be geared up to the rematch. Clemson's going to be highly motivated, knowing they have a win in your end game, most likely at the end of the year. Ohio State still has to run the table. And, and and look out for Indiana a little bit, right, without, you know, sleepwalking through anything else. Bama, we know. I don't know. If Bama gets upset in the SEC title game, would they be able to go to the back of the line and still get in? Probably. Like, we may be staring, I mean, outside of upsets, and maybe they'll happen. These four, in whatever order, I don't know. But it'll yeah. be fun to watch it play out. Uh, let's take a break, Maddie. We'll come back. We'll hit the uh, the Indiana-Michigan game and then the Harbaugh future and everything that's the, the hot-button topic there. That's next, Rothman and Ice on the fan. Rothman and Ice is sponsored by your local Pella Window and Door showroom on Gemini Parkway. The fan, Ohio sports destination. Smarter than your average sports show. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. Maddie, I was thinking about this during the break. If only Andy Dalton was playing, you might have made a little comeback on the lunch bet yesterday. <laughs> you know what? And everybody thought that was a lock, and then Brady lays an egg, and you, if Dalton was playing, it would be game oh, on again. I know, man. It was crazy. It's funny because, that honestly, that did cross my mind a little bit yesterday when I oh. saw Tommy out there struggling against uh, the old Satan company. But, no, who knows, man, when we'll see Andy again. But uh, I think it's put to bed. Now, I, even if he comes back, I don't know how much of a shot I've got because – the Cowboys offense is just a mess, man. They tried to come back in that mm-hmm. game yesterday. Actually, win that game yesterday, but Pittsburgh crawled back in. So, yeah, I still think I'm going to owe you a lunch, my man. Fantasy nightmare. I mean, just just a fantasy nightmare for me last yeah. night. I it doesn't even make any sense. There should have been a lot of points despite the wind and all that garbage. And you know I pulled the big <laughs> Drew Locke block. Um, I probably should have started him. Why would I ever start him over Brady? Of course, right. Um, I was texting with uh, – with uh, Vegas last night, and we we're talking about, uh, you know, I was saying what a nightmare it was with Brady sitting there and, and having that that horrible game. And I want to tell you what he wrote back to me. Let's see. Okay, here's our here's our text string during the game. And this is you're gonna you're gonna laugh at all this. Um, we're, so I said I can't win a week. It's unreal. Like nobody scores for me. 
And I go, it's Brady. I go, Brady might get benched. And I said that facetiously, you know, but I mean, like, eventually I thought maybe they'd just pull him out. Right. Like, you know, why, why, why risk injury? You know, get him, get him out of there. I, and I said, his O-line sucks. His guys are covered like blankets. And I go, and he may just have hired the A-B curse. Like, there may oh, have. There, and then he goes, um, they have a run in them. And I said, um, this makes no sense. It's a bad game plan. Like, they came out trying to throw it. No run game at all. He goes, got to think there will be a lot of second half half points. And then he writes, they got down 31 or 35. And then he said, they get down too much. They may just quit. And then he goes, if they get down 31, like script-wise, then he'll have to start throwing. And I wrote back, I go, well, he's got no protection and nobody can get open. Other than that, yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. No, I felt your pain yesterday because I'm taking an L in our fantasy league as well because a lot of my guys performed well, but my opponent had one Mr. Joshua Allen. And he buried me, put me six feet out of the dirt in the fans. I'd rather be bar- I'd rather be buried than have a heartbreaker. What I'm going to have is lose to a guy that's going to score like sixty points. That's horrible. <laughs> I'm with uh, you. That's the worst. I would definitely rather lose that way. Oh, oh. my goodness! Didn't lose with a, a guy or a gal beat me with sixty points. I, that's tough. I'm, I Just feel your pain, root, man. Root for the Jets to score on New England tonight. Just root for that. If you have if you have any rooting in your heart, just root for that because that's oh, what I need. Man. Um. You know, if I would have told you that a Michigan quarterback threw for 350 and three touchdowns and lost mm. to Indiana, mm-hmm. you'd be like, nah, that, that's, that's not a good script for Indiana. Like, Milton throwing for 350 and three scores, not a good script. Yeah. Like, that, that's, even though you can keep up with them, but I, but I say that that's wrong now. That's not, that's not this Indiana. This Indiana has skill guys. This Indiana has receivers. They have a running back. They've been building. They've always had underrated offensive linemen that have gone in the pros. And you're like, wait a minute, he played for Indiana? Like, you've got that. It was, it was never about that with Indiana, where they could score. It was always about defensively. You know, could they stop some people? Uh, could they get a big stop? And could they play physical? And, you know, I look at this thing now. This has been building for a while. They're OC, former Michigan quarterback, right? Born and raised, that team up north. Mike Hart. All-time leading rusher at Michigan. IU running backs coach. Mm-hmm. 5K guy at Michigan. Like, this has been building for a while. 24-game losing streak. Back into the late 80s. Like, this was the big brand. And I said to you last week, this was not about beating Penn State. It wasn't a vacuum. This season it was, certainly. But as far as historic, like, like the, those ones where they say, this is great for the program, it was this one. It was this one, and, and it'll be Ohio State, and I don't think anyone has real delusions of them upsetting Ohio State. I will say this. There's probably nobody in the Indiana locker room that doesn't think they can do it on a given Saturday, and that may be something that they haven't had in a while. Like, it wasn't just, oh, let's just talk like athletes and think we can win it. Like, they actually believe now. Like, Tom Allen was saying that they didn't make it about Michigan this week. They made it about them. Like, when you start make, when you start talking about – if you do what you have to do, you'll win rather than how do we stop that dude and that dude and don't give up this and don't turn the ball over and all the like this umpteen checklist to win a game. Yeah. Indiana's checklist has become shorter. Like I used to think like they'd have to have 10 things to go their way to get a win like this. Yeah. And now it's almost turned like it's a little more fundamental than that. 
They've impressed me. They really have. And, you know, coming into the season, I was intrigued by what they could be potentially because of their quarterback and his skill set and what he can do. And he is a uh, he's a special player, man. I know some of those throws in the game where he, you know, he'll miss some guys with mm-hmm. some inaccuracy stuff. And that'll happen throughout a game when you watch him play. But I just think that their defense is what is really rounding this into a complete team or a complete-ish team where they're almost all the way there because you mentioned what Milton did through the air, but the fact that Indiana held Michigan to 13 rushing yards total is unbelievable. Two interceptions and three sacks in the game. So defensively, they were really playing well, and I believe they heard they had one of their mm-hmm. top DBs get ejected in the game. I think early yeah, in the in the punch. first half, yeah. So yeah. you lose one of your key contributors on defense, and you still find a way. So that's why I think this week for Ohio State, it's so important to not hear any of the Hoosier noise because we're going to be so excited mm-hmm. to talk about that game. If Indian handles business, you that is going to be so much fun to talk about. But I'm telling you, I really think that this Maryland team is not a pushover in any form or fashion, and I think mm-hmm. all. Offensively, they can create some problems. I don't think at all they're a complete issue for Ohio State because I think Ohio State is just a dominant unit. But this can't be a look ahead to a potential top 10 matchup yeah. with Indiana. It's so important for Ohio State to lock in to the Terrapins, to Maryland this week. Because, I look, Indiana is going to be – that's going to be a heck of a game in my opinion because I really think that they can create some issues for Ohio State offensively because we've seen defensively there are some question mm-hmm. marks there. So it's going to be a blast. I can't wait to get the next week. But I think it's so important, man, for Ohio State to lock into Maryland because you don't want to take Talia Tungavailoa lightly because I think he's got enough mm-hmm. – um, juice offensively to where he can hurt you put on the tape put on the tape for Rutgers that's what that coach day is going to do he doesn't have to look far yeah his team didn't his his team gutted Rutgers early but it didn't feel like a gutting and then they let him back all he's got to do is throw on the tape Julian Fleming bad drop crossing over the middle nobody around you focus Harry Miller you wiped away a first down with a holding on that drive um Rutgers brought six on a third and eight Fields has to get rid of it. The the OSU line was beaten there. Uh, Yes, the fake punt worked. The fake punt was excellent. Rutgers thought they got a big stop. Snap to Steel Chambers, cuts it up the gut for 37. Outstanding. Just great stuff. But it doesn't wipe away the holding after holding after holding after face mask, after drop, after this, after getting fooled on a trick play, after not staying home. Like, there are things he can put on. There are, because he's going to judge them at a championship level, mm-hmm. not at a you beat Rutgers by a few touchdowns level. Everything's fine. So I agree with you. I think Ryan Day has been a master at this so far. I think his team, if they, if they do feel like they're a team of destiny, and this is why they came back, and this is why guys opted back in, and then it's about winning a championship. And if it's about winning a championship, then you take each hurdle as it comes, especially this year when everything's so uncertain. So there are there are going to be some things, you know, tough Borland, hands of the face. Uh, you know, I could go back. There are some things that happen in a football game that happen just because you're playing. Yeah. You, want, you don't want to rip these guys too much. But I'm, I'm just saying there are things he can put on the tape 
that will keep them focused. And the reason why those things have to be addressed is because next week Indiana will hurt you. They, I think that's a team that can make you pay for some of those penalties. If you have a defensive penalty that's going to keep their offense on the field, that's not a team that you can do that against. So Indiana is waking up the football world, the Big Ten world, and they absolutely should be with two wins that are really, really good wins for their program. It's just for Ohio State now cleaning up the little things because you're right. It's about championship expectations when you play at Ohio State. Wow. When we get a second half like we got, you got to talk. You got to talk about it no and address doubt. it because there's two offenses coming at you in the next two weeks that could do some damage. Yeah, I know what Fields can do. I know what Olave can do. I know what Wilson can do. I want to find out what this run game can do. I want to yep. find out if this defense can get to a championship level. I want to find if Wade can turn himself into a lock first rounder again. Mm-hmm. I want. I want to find out some things, and we're not going to find them out. It's going to be over a season. It's going to be a one game check the box, and everything's fine. All right, we'll come back. We'll talk to Jason Hershorn, Pro Football Writers of America. That's next. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Football season is weird because during football season, we actually look forward to Mondays. Join us for Reaction Monday. Sponsored by Taco Bell. The fan. Sports talk well done. Just like Matty enjoys his steak. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. All right, every week in the NFL, it's something different. That's why we love it. Really hard to predict. We bring on our friend Jason Hershorn. Nice to have him on the program, award-winning NFL writer for SB Nation, Pro Football Writers Association as well of America, and Jason is on the Bryant Heating Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. Jason, thank you. Thank you, guys. How's it going? We're doing well. I mean, it was really strange watching the Steelers struggle. I know Ben got the knee tweaked, came back, and uh, played hero a little bit. Uh, The Ravens answered the bell against the Colts. I think a lot of people had the Colts beating them. Didn't really know what to what to make of Lamar Jackson, what they have right now. But um, give me your – and then Tampa, going down in flames last night to the Saints. So if we do like a little week nine analysis, uh, bigger surprise for you. I mean, the, the Tampa loss, not that they lost, but the manner in which they were defeated has to be the biggest surprise. They set a record in terms of fewest rushing attempts in a game by a single team in NFL history. And when you really think back, that's really hard to do. Only four carries by running backs. It's extremely difficult. So they went so far out of their game plan because of how quickly they went down to the New Orleans Saints. And it really forced them to play a version of football that they are just right now not capable of doing. They obviously have a lot of good receivers, a decent offensive line, Tom Brady, but virtually no team is capable of going past every single down and being able to be competitive, especially with a team like the Saints. So that, for me, was the biggest surprise of the weekend. You know, Jason, thanks for hopping on, man. Watching uh, some of these games yesterday, the Bills going north of 40 points against Seattle was a bit surprising to me based off of how the Bills had looked in a couple weeks coming into this game. But kind of zooming in on Seattle just a little bit, their defense has been such a concern all season long. They do have Russell Wilson in that amazing offense. Do you think that they're capable of maybe getting to the Super Bowl with that defense, or do you think it is going to come back to haunt them as the weeks roll along here? I mean, capable, yes. They, they certainly have more talent on the defense they've been able to show. Jamal Adams is just starting to return. He's still not 100% healthy. A player like that, as he returns to full health, if he's able to do so, that is, that is going to make a difference for that unit. And again, because of how good that offense is, they're able to beat opponents that might be overall more talented. But to see them go through an entire playoff without a misstep is really hard to foresee. I mean, we've seen really talented teams in the past 
go to the playoffs with a probably more advantageous position than the Seahawks will and fall short. So, yeah, the Seahawks are capable of doing that, but to see them winning two or three games in a row to reach the Super Bowl with the way they are currently constructed, it is hard to see. Yeah, it's, it is. And, I, you know, we look at this, and Maddie and I, I don't know, who do you have in the Super Bowl before the year, Jason? Uh, we should probably not go into that because those predictions <laughs> look comical in retrospect. But it's certainly not the teams that are at the top of the respective conferences at the moment. Okay, we'll, we'll, protect, we'll, keep, we'll protect the innocent here. Um, all right, you have a make-do. We're going to give you a chance for redemption. We don't even know who you, who you, who you picked to get in there before. Uh, Maddie and I had the Saints and Chiefs before the year started. Uh, gun to my head, I would have probably switched to Seattle given the opportunity, but I wasn't given the opportunity, so I'm going to stick with it. Uh, where do you stand on a Super Bowl pick now? Well, I feel a little more confident in the NFC. There are more than one team that, that has a good position to make it there, obviously. But the team that I've been most impressed with over the course of the first half of the year has been the Green Bay Packers. That offense, despite not having a traditional set of elite-level receivers, at least outside of Devontae Adams, has been one of the most consistent units, offense or defense, in the entire league through nine weeks. And Aaron Rodgers is playing some of the best football of his career. A quarterback like that you're definitely going to feel good about in the playoffs. And while the defense has been, at times, catastrophic, it also is more talented than it has shown. And I think as they start to adjust to the realities of what they can do with some of those players, especially in the back seven, they're going to be able to get closer to league average. And in the league average defense, here with that offense and Aaron Rodgers, I think is a better combination of assets than any other team in the NFC. As for the AFC, uh, any given hour, I could change my answer. The Steelers certainly look capable of doing it. I mean, there's a reason they are at the top of the conference at the moment. I would certainly not count out the Ravens because of how talented they are overall. And that offense for Baltimore, while not functioning at a particularly high level right now, definitely has the ability to improve over the back half of the season and into January and February. So I wouldn't count them out. And, of course, the reigning champion, the, the Chiefs, are definitely going to be there as well as long as Patrick Mahomes is healthy. So any one of those teams makes sense to me coming out of the AFC. You know, Jason, we didn't get to see the Browns or Bengals this past weekend, both those squads on by. I wanted to ask you about the Brownies. We know, you know, the loss of Odell is going to loom large potentially the rest of the way. But taking him out of the equation, do you still view Cleveland as a playoff caliber team? Yes, I do. And it's obviously losing a player like Odell Beckham is going to negatively impact an offense. But they were able to produce big plays without Odell Beckham. So it's not something, it's not a situation where, like, it would be with, let's say, the Saints when they lost Michael Thomas, or if a team like, let's say, the Packers were to lose Devontae Adams, where there isn't someone capable of stepping into that role. They, they do have those options in Cleveland. And because of the structure of that offense, it's never going to be the case where one single receiver is going to dominate. They are able to create through play action, through bootlegs, so a lot of the things you see with those Kyle Shanahan-derived offenses, which is what they run in Cleveland, the ability to sort of create a lot of open opportunities for the receivers, even if they are less talented than someone like Odell Beckham. So when you have a quarterback like Baker Mayfield, who is improved, but is still sort of feeling his way around in the NFL, having multiple options on almost all passing places is going to help. And that running game is also getting healthy, too. It sounds like Nick Chubb is going to start practicing this week. Obviously, that would be huge for that team. He's one of the most talented running backs in the NFL. And you look at their position in the AFC. They're not currently in a playoff slot, but they're right outside of it. I absolutely think that they can, without a lot of luck, move back into the playoffs. Yeah, it's it's been a wild ride here because we got some surprising teams that are making a little bit of a, a run here with you know Miami – 
You know, we faulted them. I mean, if just looking at it in a, in a microscope this year, it looked like that was the bad time to move to Tua because of how they had things cooking. And then you start to look at their big picture and, you know, developing him. And is he healthy? And maybe we can use this year to, to really season him. But it was weird because they were, they were in a division where the Patriots are now um, dead in the water. And now they contract on Buffalo. What are you, what are you, what's your thoughts on Miami with Tua and making a run at Buffalo? Well, having Tua over Ryan Fitzpatrick certainly raises the ceiling for that team. At the same time, I think it actually lowers the floor. Not that Fitzpatrick couldn't have those just catastrophe games, but Tua is a rookie, and he's a rookie in a season where all the rookies didn't have a traditional offseason that is going to impact their ability to contribute this year. We saw a really good version of Tua this past Sunday. And that is the version of him that they could potentially get on any given Sunday. At the same time, we saw what Tua might be in some of his lesser games a week earlier. Now, they, they won that game against the Rams, but it really highlights some of the issues that Tua has right now and, frankly, some of the issues that we saw back in Alabama. When, when Tua was able to have a relatively clean pocket, especially when he had a series of good receivers, which they did in Alabama, and they do to a certain degree in Miami, he was able to just distribute the ball efficiently like a really great point guard. And then the moment there was pressure, especially pressure coming right up the middle, those sort of things could fall apart. So if you're an opposing team looking to stop Miami, at least stop Miami on offense, that's the number one way to do it. Get pressure up those A and B gaps, and that's a way to disrupt what Tua wants to do, or at least is able to do efficiently right now. So, yeah, Tua definitely gives them an opportunity to be more than just a you know, fringe playoff team. But he also could be the reason they don't make the playoffs. It really depends on how well opposing defenses are able to approach him. All right, final 30 seconds. Um, who is Jake Luton, and what is he doing with all these uh, great stats? This is, uh, this is out of nowhere. Um, 26 of 38. Uh, had a touchdown, had a pick, and I know Jacksonville lost, and no one cared about the game, but um, this guy got a future? I mean, it's one game. We really can't say. Mm-hmm. That said, while I did not see this coming, and I'm guessing from your question that you did not see this coming, no. some of the Jacksonville beat writers did feel like this kid, during the limited amount of training camp they were able to see, had a lot of physical skills that maybe were not always on display at Oregon State. So, you know, it's one game. It's way too early. Obviously, like Gardner Minshew this season and, and last year had moments where it seems like maybe he was going to be the guy, despite being a late-round pick. So let's not make too much out of this right now, but – Jake Luton is someone with a real skill set. He has a good arm. He is pretty good, at, uh, pretty athletic. And when you have that combination of things, you know, in the right setting, and I'm not sure that is Jacksonville mm-hmm. at the moment, but, you know, it was that way this past weekend, that maybe that's the recipe for more success than any of us were previously thinking. Good job. Jason Hershorn, is really uh, nice to have you on the program. Thanks for making time for us. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks. You Thanks, too. Jason. Yeah. Uh, award-winning NFL writer for SB Nation. He was on the Brian Heating Cooling Systems Fangus Hotline. Buckeye Bulletin up next. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Rothman and Ice present Buckeye Bulletin. Sponsored by Logan AC and Heat Services. Don't go through another furnace breakdown. For fast, friendly service, call the experts at Logan Services now for a free estimate and next day furnace installation. All right, Maddie, Buckeye Bulletin time. Uh, the man's name is Michi Johnson, and he's going to end up playing for Ohio State, and he's going to end up playing uh, potentially this year. Uh, 6'2", combo guard, Garfield Heights. Uh, he's going to reclassify from 2021 to hop on the moving train for Chris Holtman. He announced that this weekend. He's going to roll at Ohio State later this year. So he's going to graduate early from high school and come to Ohio State in December. He had gone back for a senior year, 
But he decided that this is the chance that he can jump in and jump on to Ohio State. And it's really going to help a team that needs some depth in that backcourt. That's absolutely what it's all about. We had the unfortunate story last week with Abel Porter and his health situation. And we obviously wish him well, and you feel for him not being able to hoop the way he wants to. But it absolutely put a focus on the lack of depth at the time. But then at the end of the week, you got the Jimmy Sotos dude, so that's big. So now these two guys, I would have to imagine AR Sotos and now Meachie Johnson are probably going to be playing significant minutes behind C.J. Walker and Dwayne Washington, guys that we know are going to be relied on to do a lot of hooping for this year's basketball team so this is big this is good Mm -hmm. for him had a torn acl a couple years ago i think his sophomore season is what i read uh, earlier today and then he bounced back from that to play well throughout the summer so getting him in and getting him on Mm -hmm. the floor as quick as possible is going to be good because we know he's a talented guy but he's going to be a young guy that i think coach holtman may have to rely on a little bit in certain situations if you get into foul trouble or whatever is going to be going on affecting the basketball team hopefully not covid related but we know that's going to be hanging over our heads uh, until all that stuff is cleared up so no this is this is good because now the point guard depth is uh, reassured a little bit so this is a win-win because he can play without losing a year because of covid like you mentioned right and the NCAA passed that rule now that he can play and he'll, he'll retain freshman years in that right season? Yes, that's correct, yes. Okay, you guys also think, is this something where, I mean, this just doesn't come out of the blue, right? I mean, Coach Holtman and his staff, I assume, did reach out and say, we need, hey, Michi, we need you, correct? This isn't <laughs> I mean, just born uh, from one side, right? Uh, no, who knows? He could be thinking this the entire mm-hmm. way, but no, I, but my mind went there with you a little bit, and look, I, I don't have an issue with it. They see no. an opportunity with both from both sides. If he thinks he's ready to roll and step up on this type of stage and come on down, but if you're Coach Holtman, the responsibility is to put the best product out there on the floor mm-hmm. as a coaching staff, and is this if this is an avenue to get to that, then yeah, absolutely, you're supposed to be doing that as a head coach. Sure, and, it, and like you said, it comes down to – Abel Porter and and that happening and certainly if that doesn't happen then who knows right Uh, we come back to Ohio State and we talk about football for a moment and here's Ryan Day on his expectations he has for his second teamers well, there's no excuse for anybody missing tackles, for for one. But to your point, we have to look at it on film and just figure out exactly what what happened. But our expectation is that you know when when the second group gets in there, they they pick it up from from where the first team left off, and we pull away in the second half. That that's the expectation around here. So if that's not happening, then we got to get that fixed as well. But to your point, we got to figure out you know exactly where all that stuff happened in the second half, and and they get it fixed. Yeah, he's on it. He's on it. That's what we said earlier, that this is going to be about meeting expectations for everyone. And here he is, generally speaking, on the performance on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I go into a game and like, okay, if we can just win this game, don't worry about what it looks like. Let's just win it. And then you get into it and, and you just, you know, you're competitive. And so you want everything perfect. Um, but like you said, with, with so many different things that went on this year, uh, but that's no excuse. You know, we're, we're not making excuses at all. We, we got to figure that out. We got to get it fixed. We got to clean up the penalties. We did have a turnover, and and you know there's just some things that that, that shouldn't have happened in that game, and um, and that's where we grow. Um, we don't have the, the non-conference games early on to kind of build off of that. You know, the, the first time that some of these guys are in the game is right now in a conference game, and so you know, great great learning opportunity this week. We got to get on that film, get those things fixed, and allow our uh, our team to build. 
I love it, man. I love I love that response. I really do because that to me is what it's all about. When you play at this level, it's acknowledging, hey, look, we got the win in a season mm-hmm. that's going to be funky for a lot of teams involved, and it's hitting them just like it is for everyone else. But the the non excuses, I, I think, is great, right? Coming from the head coach, he's going to zoom in on all of the things that you and I have touched on, and all the mm-hmm. things that everybody watched unfold on Saturday second in that second half, because that's that's where it's about. It's about where are you measuring yourself, or who are you measuring yourself against? And we know who they're doing it against, and we didn't see that caliber of football in the second half. And regardless of its first or second team, no. the head coach has the mindset of, "Hey, man, everybody should be playing at that level." And he didn't mm-hmm. see it, and he's and he's addressing it. It's human nature as a coach. This is what you're supposed to do. Acknowledge the good things that you did, but focus on the things you know you have to improve. Ohio State can get away with multiple holdings against Rutgers. Yeah, They can, and they did. Guess who can't get away with it? Rutgers. Mm-hmm. Rutgers can't have first and goal at the one and have a hold. Right. They can't. Right. right. And they did early in that game. And so, now they came away with three. They did get three. But you're trying to stay with Ohio State. And you can't have broken coverage against Ohio State. Broken coverage, touchdown. Like, that's what happened early on in that game when Jameson Williams, you know, did that out and up and there was nobody there and, and nobody could come over. Um, the There are certain things that he can look at that tape. Werner's had a great year so far. Got to get Crookshank to the ground. Got to get him to the ground. You can't just assume that his knee touched. You roll him, you roll him, and you, you wrap and roll. Mm. That was a great play by Crookshank, by the way. On that third like and six that. when they ran the reverse, yeah. and he stayed up for that big game, and that's what that got him to that first and goal at the one. But Teron Vincent was getting in the backfield and after the hold, and then it was lights out there. But that, it, was a, it was actually a fun game if you stayed with it. Like, that's a, that's a, that's a, it, was a it was kind of a fun <laughs> game. I don't know if the football team felt that way. <laughs> no, I mean, like, just watching those plays. Uh, the bag of tricks. Felix the Cacciano. All right, we'll come back. Sports Center update, third hour. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Broadcasting from the Lindsay Honda Studios. Honda makes the cars. Lindsay makes the difference. Visit lindsayhonda.com. WBNSFM, HD1 Columbus. The fan. Sports Center. And I'm Timmy Hall. Let's start with some NFL Monday Night Football tonight. We'll wrap up Week 9. It's here on the Fan After Buckeye Roundtable. Jets host the Pats. Some numbers from ESPN's FPI. If the Jets lose this one and go to 0-9, they'll have a 64% chance to get that number one pick. Sorry, Trevor, or maybe Justin. Around the league, the Washington football team will go forward with Alex Smith, the starter, and Dwayne, the backup after Kyle Allen's injury. Christian McCaffrey could now miss time with a new shoulder injury. And Michael Thomas of the Saints says he's grown from his situation this season and is ready to help the Saints win a title. Amazingly, the November Masters tees off on Thursday, not for a former champ in Sergio Garcia. He tested positive and is out. And the College Hoops preseason AP poll is out. Chris Holman's Buckeyes are number 23. This one brought to you by The Basement Doctor, Central Ohio's most trusted name for your home since 87. Go to basementdoctor.com. Breaking sports news on the fan. Most shows just skim the surface, but Rothman and I feel like the biggest story of the day deserves a closer look. It's time for a deeper dive. All right, we'll we'll dive deep for the Buckeyes here in a moment. I want to bring you up to date on Bucky Badger. They do expect to play Michigan this weekend. And this is their this is Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're our only hope. Like, this is it. They got to run the table. They got to get all these games in. And 
you got to go with you got to dance with the ones that are active, and that's what it looks like they're going to do. The good news for them is it looks like their active COVID cases in the football program have dropped to five. Okay. Now I think that's I'm going to guess that's players, not staff, but I'll look that up. So they began their normal prep this week, so they're back into conditioning and practice now. They this is a chance for Michigan. To maybe catch Wisconsin a little discombobulated, right? Just a little fragmented. Like, yeah, yes, they'll be rested, but they've gone through a real hiccup in their program and a real problem here as far as trying to keep things, to get a rhythm going. You, know, you get your last two games canceled with a big outbreak. Yeah. And at one point they had 27 active cases, 15 players, 12 coaches, or 12 people on the staff. So... If they've had no positive tests in five of the past six days and only a couple people have tested positive since then. So it's a good sign, no new positives, and the numbers are dwindling. And so we're going to assume this game is going. And now all of a sudden, Michigan, I, so Maddie, I don't know what more to say about that team. I don't, when are they, are they going to quit on them? And that, yeah, to me, yeah, is going yeah. to be the telltale sign if it's time to pull the plug. Will they, Can he somehow keep those guys engaged with an opportunity in front of them, an opportunity to beat Wisconsin, an opportunity coming at the end of the year against Ohio State? Like, somehow can he keep them believing that's going to be, despite the other big problem, which is they just don't have the dudes. Man, and I'm watching these games the last two weeks, and – whether it was, you know, Lombardi and his guys or you know, whether it was Michael Pettix and his guys, you can get what you want on the outside. It's Their, their defense is offering up no resistance, which is a shocker to me because that has always been what they leaned on as far as Don Brown being the defensive coordinator and him being able, for the most part, year in and year out, to roll out a respectable defense. And this year it's just not the case, and we touched on it earlier in this game against Indiana. You can only rush the ball for 13 yards in the game, so they're, they're there's no physicality. There's no, no edge when you're watching a Michigan football team. And I think that is – it's different to me because under Harbaugh, you know, before he brought Gaddis in, they're rolling out fullbacks and tight ends, mm-hmm. and they're trying to beat you up with the running game. And their defense was always pretty good, with, whether it's Rashawn Gary or all the other names that we know that have been guys that are ballers for them defensively. But this year yeah. it's a completely different look. And these, these quarterbacks and these wide receivers going up against these corners for Michigan, they're really confident in what they can do because a lot of times – they're just getting dunked on on the outside, and it's time after time after time. And you watch the game, and you know Don Brown's trying to switch it up yeah. the zone, and they're, tr- they're they're just trying to figure it out on the fly because, like you said, they don't have the dudes right now. And then we got the news today or this afternoon, not too long ago, that Aiden Hutchinson he's going to undergo surgery for a fracture to his leg, and he's one of their best defensive players coming off the edge with pay. So when you don't have this guy moving forward, and you've got a secondary that's struggling, and you may struggle now with getting home and creating pressure, which we know can help out mm-hmm. a back end, it's just a bad formula with what you got. And I think you brought up a fair question is what type of response, what type of fight are we going to see from them? Because right now, man, defensively, they're just not offering up any resistance. And that, to me, is going to be the worst part of it because it w- they would almost be in better shape is if they were average offensively and really good defensively. Like right. I think Milton's a good quarter. Like I think he can do, he can throw the ball. I mean that guy can 
He's, he's physical and he can throw it, and he's got some More arm talent there. Sometimes, but his sure, own, it, it's special. Like yeah. I watch, I've been watching those games, and but a little he slow, Pennings, but he honestly, got. Yeah, they've got cannons, and it kind of reminded me Ar watching him throw the football, like the velocity when I used to watch Troy Smith play at Ohio State, like on TV, it just jumps off the screen, man. Like this dude, he's got an absolute cannon. Yeah, it's um, you know, when you said that, it made me think of uh, you know, our movie Forty Year Old Virgin. Uh, <laughs> I served him. He's taken care of. He's a little slow, but he got it. Right. Yep. <laughs> he got it. Yeah. Um, like, no, yeah, oh, you're right. Man. It's it's the teams that they're going to face and try to match. Like, it's okay if they have a good offense, but you really needed something that you could hang your hat on to try to slow down Indiana or slow down Ohio State. Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, And the lack of physicality. I mean, sometimes in those games, like a rivalry game, you know, you can say – you know, the team that, that comes in and physical and always, you know, all the cliches. Oh, it's the hardest hitting game I've ever played and it's the most mm-hmm. physical game I've ever played. And boy, you got to have some heart to want to do it. You can be physical, but do you have the heart and do you have the motivation to want to do it? And now we have to find out. The only opportunity he has is could they be catching Wisconsin at the right time? Michigan's coming off the couple of embarrassments, you know, in their mind. They're, they're really probably just more losses. Um, and whether or not Wisconsin coming off of what they're, what's going on in their program, are they going to be full go? Are they going to be conditioned mm-hmm. to play? Like, that's what he's got to be selling. And by the way, they're going to Ann Arbor. I know there are no fans, but at least they're going there. Like, right. whatever, he's, whatever he can sell, the most important thing might be an opportunity. Like he's not selling spoiler. He's not even putting that word out there. Like he wants his team to believe that they can still line up and win. But now they've lost to Michigan State and Indiana, and here comes Wisconsin off the outbreak. And if they lose this one, then you just wonder whether they pack it in. I don't know. Like it's it's at that point, and then and then I think that's what our conversation with Harbaugh. And we'll have, probably have it more throughout the week um, about him and his future. Ohio yeah. State, on the other hand, you know, as we we dive in real quickly. It's the, one of those games that happens all the time where they're a you know, five, six touchdown favorite, somewhere in that area. They look like they can put the cleat on the throat. And then how much is it? Did they let off or did Rutgers just answer? And I'm telling you, if you go back to where that game was going to be, where Ohio State was going to take control of that game, and here it is for me. Rutgers has three points with 10 minutes to go in the third quarter, and they're on their own nine-yard line. That's it. That's where you take their heart. That's it. You get them in the shadow of their own goal line, and that's where you force the three and out. And then you put the nail in them. You get your dudes out. You get your backup quarterback in. You start seasoning those guys because you don't know what's going to happen, and you start to play that game out with your backups. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen because Rutgers, because Shiano was deep in the lab, drawing stuff up, and he's got enough dudes where if he draws up the right play, he can fool the best. And that's what he did on Saturday night. That 66-yard direct snap to Pacheco was one of the great plays I've seen in a long time. It wasn't a lot of misdirection. It wasn't a double reverse. It wasn't a pass across the field. Even though he did that, nobody knew who had the football. Like Pacheco takes the double snap. Quarterback sells it with the snap over his head. Motion receiver sells that he's got it, and everyone's chasing shadows. And it wasn't even a sunny day. Mm. I it, it's so. And then Hooker comes up, bad angle, high attempt. 
bad angle. Like, these are things that championship teams will have to, to resolve. I tip my hat to Rutgers. Then they follow that up with a sprint right, tackle eligible left, throwback to Raquan O'Neal, who's blocking Zach Harrison. Like, how is – like, nobody on Ohio State's team would buy that that, that right. dude's going to release. Yeah. And so that, that, that play would have fooled anyone. Fooled Bama, would have fooled Clemson. But, okay, so they made it 42-9. to Did you get your wake-up call? Yeah, I would say so. They just went 91 yards on you on two trick plays. Time to get a wake-up call. And and what happens? Ohio State uh, answers to go up 42-9, to and they relax again. 12 men on the field, a face mask on Vincent. Like, those are the things that Day is going to put on, on for these dudes, uh, the holding after holding. And, and Harry Miller can't hide from it. He's just got to dust himself off. Mm-hmm. He can't hide from it. His name was getting called for laundry all night. And Ohio State was good enough to overcome it. They're great enough to overcome that against Rutgers. You start getting back-to-back holdings um, in a game in the second quarter, and, and you allow a team to hang in there, um, and that's what it is. I thought Teague had some good vision for that run to make a 35-3, and you're like, okay, let's see if Ohio State has the motivation to want to put this team out of its misery. And what happens in the first drive of the third quarter? Another a holding on Wyatt Davis. Like, so – these are the things, man, that, that against great teams, you get behind schedule like that, and then you're in a ball game. Saturday night, they weren't. Right. And, and I think, you know, we're just waiting on them to play a complete game because I think in all three games uh, this season so far, there have just been certain situations, whether it's the early portion of that Nebraska game, you get to some of those, you know, touchdowns, some big, those big plays last week against Penn State, and then everything that you laid out there with the just – bad fundamental stuff that we see guys that's not being where they need to be and over pursuing and all of that we're just waiting to see this Ohio State team round into form and put it together for an entire game because when you get that you're going to get I think what could be the best team in the country if this defense and the special team stuff gets cleaned up because offensively it's pick your poison with what they can do in the passing game right now with this running game I still think they're searching for some answers and you mentioned the guys up front mainly uh, Miller there with kind of a, a bad game from his standards mm-hmm. because the week before he was graded out as a champion so we know that he can perform at a high level he just took a step back in week number three so that to me isn't the biggest concern mm-hmm. because I think right now it's good enough to where you can win plenty of games the remainder of the way but if you run into a game but for whatever reason the defense for an opposing team is going to hold up against the passing game or the weather is really bad and you can't sling the football around you got to have something consistent there and we touched on Steel Chambers earlier because I think his skill set could be something that could really be useful for them but when you fumble the ball twice that's not going to go over well so regardless of what they do I think somebody's got to step up and really grab a hold of this running back room because Mm -hmm. they need a little bit more there because we know when the weather starts to change and all of that the passing game may not be there but just overall Mm -hmm. I I just thought offensively Justin Fields and Mm -hmm. these receivers are getting what they want and he's delivering the ball on time with touch and accuracy there. Oh yeah, his his ability to throw on the run, to make any throw. He he's he's been absolutely brilliant. He writes a lot of wrongs. He's behind schedule, it doesn't matter. There's only one time where he kind of conceded, I think it was on that third and twenty or whatever that was, where he didn't throw it, just just took off to the sideline and they wound up punting the ball away. But yeah, that was kind of a classic old school and I know Carp would probably appreciate the Rocky line. 
like Rutgers. Like, they don't know it's a damn show. They think it's a damn fight. <laughs> like, finish these bums and let's go home. Like, yeah. that's the, that's what it felt like to me. And they couldn't. And, and I tip your hat to Shiano. He drew up some great, great trickery that kept them in the game, caught Ohio State off guard, a relaxed Ohio State team off guard that thought that Rutgers would just play a straight-up game, and then you got the throw across on the punt. That goes for a touchdown. Uh, we already mentioned the other trick plays. Ohio State answered when they had to answer. Like, like when after the punt return, the throw across the field that went for six – First and 10, Ohio State's like, okay, you want to play that way? Fine. Play action, corner shot, Alave, let's run, run a wheel route, and safety will be way too late because Alave's using every part, every inch of that field, and then it's 49-21. But at 42-21, when it was 35-3, to you're like, come on, not at our place. I don't care, fans, no fans. Like, that's – like, and so it forced Ryan Day to play his dudes – for most of that game, instead of, you know, protecting injury, getting backups out there, like, that's what Rutgers did, and and give them credit for it. All right, we'll move along. We'll come back, play a little truth. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Rothman and Ice is sponsored by your local Pella Window and Door showroom on Gemini Parkway. The fan, Ohio sports destination. Tell the truth with Rothman and Ice. All right, CB, we think we can handle the truth. All right, Anthony. I actually wanted to bring this up with you because you know we're in these temporary new studios here, and I'm in a conference room with a bunch of glass windows. I mean, mm. it's, it's humongous. <laughs> but our guy Timmy Hall brought up the idea that it's a glass case of emotion that I'm sitting in. I, I appreciate the Ron Burgundy line, and I hope you don't go crazy in that glass case of emotion. Uh, it does sound a little echoey in there, but... You know, you may do your best your best work in a phone booth. We're not sure. We'll find out about that. But mm. during the Michigan and Indiana broadcast mm. this weekend, they shared that Watt Fillier's full name is Mr. Elias D'Angelo Fillier, and his <laughs> middle or his nickname is Wop because it was given to him because he loves Burger King Whoppers. So if you mm. were nicknamed after a food that you loved, what would it be? You know, I like a nice little Whopper too. Throw some cheese on that thing, and now we're talking. Um, for Wop, me, look, Wop, Wop Hayes. Yeah, exactly. For me. I'm going to go with red velvet because, you know, mm. I love me a nice sliver of a red velvet cake. <laughs> and I think if you name me after red velvet, I think I could do some damage out in the world with the name red velvet haze. How does that work for you? I I really hope that Carp is listening right now. I don't know if he is. But if you were Dino Velvet, that would be even better. And I think I think Carp would know the reference Dino Velvet. And that would that would be great because that would lead you in into a, into a dark area, um, where you'd be you, you could be in contact with a lot of air quote talent scouts. Mm. Maddie Dino Velvet Hayes might be the best one. Um, I you know where I'm going? It's pizza. Yeah, and yep. so it has to be somewhere in the um, Antonio crispy crust. Oh, half baked, uh, take and bake, uh, half Sin, good movie, Sin City Slice Rothman. <laughs> that's my favorite one. Sin City Slice. Oh, that's great. You can't handle the truth. All right. Would you rather spend a day with your favorite athlete or your favorite movie star? And I will give you the criteria that you can't pick somebody that has passed away at this point. It is one of the great, great questions and conundrums wow. because I think if you spent the day with, with an athlete, 
you might be able to do that sport. Like, like what if you, if, if your, if your favorite athlete was a golfer, could you play nine? Could you play 18? Like, could you run some routes? Like, you could make it your own personal fantasy camp. Yeah. The reason I'm going to pick actor is because not only do you get to spend the day with that person, you're getting to spend the day with every character they've ever played. It's more than one. It's like, you know I'm picking Stallone. Like, that means I get to spend the day with Marion Cabretti, Rambo, John Jay, Rocky Balboa, of course. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little Tango and Cash. Lincoln Hawk. Like, I'm going actor because I'll feel like I'm with about ten people, not just one. And I I think it's more exclusive to, to be with the actor. I am fully with you on this, and I don't know which guy or gal, actress, I would pick. Actually, I know what actress I would pick. You know what actress Mm. I would pick. That's Miss Halle Berry. If I get to hang out with her for a day, that's a dub. But if we're going to stay with the actor portion... I mean, you know what, Catwoman, Storm. There's, you know, we can, that's that's a lot of fun right there. But I, I'm so torn between my two guys and one Matthew McConaughey and one Denzel Washington. I don't know which guy. I, I would have so much fun with both. You talk about the characters, the amazing history, these guys in the acting world, the damage that they've done. But if I have to pick one. I got to go with Denzel. Matthew McConaughey, hey, we would have a lot of fun out at the bar, I'm sure. There would be a lot of things um, that would fall under the fun umbrella with him. But Denzel's such a legend. I got to go with him. Can I ask you, would you rather spend most of that afternoon with Alonzo training day, Denzel, or Coach Herman Boone, remember the Titans? Because I I think uh, (laughs) Alonzo Harris might get you into a lot of great areas that you you could appreciate. (laughs) I'm going with Alonzo, though. Like, I'm going to buckle up and ride out with Alonzo. Put me in that passenger where's, seat where's all day office, long. Where's the office, baby? In the office. Mm-hmm. Did you say, I know my truth? I know my truth. All right, really quick one to finish up here. So your fantasy question of the day. Jerry Judy went off against the Falcons 7 for 125 in the touchdown. Is he a good rest of season flex option? Oh, man, I, really want uh, I believe I mentioned his name last week for the waiver pickup. Did I not? That happened, sir. Yep. Uh, that was a big one for me. I decided to go with the Drew Locke block, which, by the way, I'm happy I did because my opponent had to ride with Foles, even though Foles did get a couple garbage scores at the end. But Locke lit it up. And I was very worried about Judy. And I think that this is a big deal. Yes, I, I think that he, from tar- from a target standpoint, Maddie, why not? I, I, I have no problem with this. They're going to be in some script some negative scripts, and I think this would yeah. be a, wouldn't be a bad guy to have if, if he's not already been taken. Here's why I'll say no on this, because I do think Tim Patrick is looming just a little bit, and he was a guy that before he went down with injury was doing mm-hmm. some good things with Drew Locke. So he did score now, a touchdown yesterday. Tim Patrick did, yes. Yeah, so that's a guy that I think maybe could eat into a little bit of that with Judy because maybe Locke likes him a little bit more. I think it's something to where maybe you have confidence for another week, but I wouldn't okay. be surprised at all if Tim uh, Patrick turns out to be the uh, more of a favorite target for Drew Locke. Some quick uh, games here for Denver. It'd be at Vegas, Miami, New Orleans at KC, at Carolina, uh, Buffalo at home at the Chargers at Vegas. Like he's got some double-digit games down the stretch. Jerry yeah. Judy does. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got the rookie, the Jackie Robinson rookie of the year will be announced tonight. AL and yeah. um, when you talk about rookies, and it's very tough because I think there are a couple pitchers here that are going to get a shot at this. Especially in the AL, it'll be Javier from from the Astros. He'll definitely get a great shot at this, right? Now, whether you're going to take him over Kyle Lewis or Lewis Robert, I don't know. I'll ask you here in a second. In the NL, um, I would look at Devin Williams, 
who was incredible out of the bullpen for Milwaukee. So you, so it's tough, Matty, we compare position players to pitchers. Where do you stand in Rookie of the Year? It's funny because when we get to these awards, I always, for some reason, lean more towards the position player because mm-hmm. I think they have more of an impact since they're in the lineup every day. In the AL, I'll go with Kyle Lewis okay. from Seattle. I thought he was really, really good. I know he cooled off a little bit at the later, latter portion of the season, but defensively, he was really, really good. Offensively, he was great, getting on base, stealing bases. But I just think when you play that premier position, I know mm-hmm. Robert does too, but Kyle Lewis to me would be my guy in the AL with the damage okay. that he can do. And then I'll go with Alex Boehm, the, the Phillies rookie third baseman, man. Yep. This guy was incredible, batting over 450 with runners in scoring position and doing damage this season that way. So I'll, I'll go with Boehm in the NL. Boy, I think you're going to be right on this, and I'll tell you why. Because Robert for the Sox, and you know how much I love him, and, and they, they wound up, he, he was the one that wound up falling off in September. And Lewis was more consistent. And yeah. so they matched homers, pretty much matching in ribbies. Uh, OPS, Lewis has him. I think you're going to be right here, and I think I'm going to ride with you with the Mariners with Lewis. I just think he was just consistent all year long in the AL. I, 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 I'm going to go with Lewis as well. In the NL, is really – what about Cronenworth? Like, I mean, he <sighs> yeah. was sent over from the pods from the Rays in that trade for fam. And I will tell you, you just said everyday player versatility. That dude plays anywhere, anyhow. Like, yep. second, first, short, third. He's really good defensively, and he's got some pop. And he was really good in the playoffs. And he was hitting mm-hmm. good pitching. Um, Big Ten dude, played up at Michigan. And now, his numbers compared to Baum, probably not going to be there. And if it's a numbers game, he's going to lose there. So I could go off the board and just take Devin Williams out of that bullpen, who may have had, has the best changeup in in baseball. So let me go off the board and take Williams just to be different. Okay, yeah, um, no, I like because it. his ERA was what thirty three in twenty two games, and <laughs> and by the way, he's a guy that throws ninety eight and has the same arm action on a changeup. Oh, like it's yeah. disgusting. Do you see it what is. his numbers were against the changeup oh. this year? I saw Got two for sixty two with forty one Ks. Mm-hmm. So give me Devin Williams in the NL, and we'll both take Lewis in the AL. Won't be surprised if Cronenworth wins this for for the guy from mm-hmm. the Padres because like that was such a big not hole, but they were curious about second base, right? Everything Very I read much. in the season because they had Hosmer, they had Machado, mm-hmm. they had Tatis, they had everything shored up. He steps in, and the guy defensively, like you said, brings everything to the table, and offensively he was good too. So won't be shocked at all. But I'll roll with yeah. Bohm and uh, Kyle Lewis. I think we named the right guys. I, th- I think we did as far as nominations, and I will get go with Lewis and um, I'll go Lewis and Williams. So we'll get one position and one pitcher. We'll ha- come yep. back with Dan Hope. We'll talk Buckeyes again. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Two guys who love a good fantasy draft. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. All right, we come back. We talk Buckeye football with Dan Hope, eleven Warriors. He's on the Brian Heating and Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. Dan, welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, we did a lot of the Buckeyes today. Want to get a little bit of your insight. Uh, listen, they want balance. They're going to be hell-bent on trying to create a running game this year. Um, and they're going to try. I mean, I think the carries were split again among Sermon and Teague on Saturday night. But just your thoughts on how this is going to evolve and what you envision when we get into December, what it looks like. Yeah, you know, I think they definitely have, you know, been trying to establish balance. And, you know, so far we've seen it, it's been mostly a rotation with those guys. With You know, a lot of times Teague gets one series, Sermon gets one series. And I think we're still kind of waiting to see if somebody's really going to separate themselves from a pack. I, I think Teague has been the most consistent running back at this point. But, 
you know, can one of these guys really have a breakthrough game and really kind of make a push to be, they should be the guy that gets most of the carries. And I don't think we've gotten to that point yet. So I think they're still kind of working through that. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, you see a guy like a Demario McCall flash, does maybe they find a few snaps for him. A steel chambers. We saw him flash, but then we saw him have a fumble. So how does he factor into this thing? I think they need to keep experimenting with it to try to get a little bit more spark in that running game. And, you know, like you said, I mean, I think when, when December comes, that's when they're they're really going to need it for most. You know, Dan, staying on offense, man, I think kind of a funny deal year in and year out when we head into the season is, hey, is this finally the year the tight ends are going to get some love? Is this finally the week the tight ends are going to get some love? We've got back-to-back weeks now where Jeremy Ruckert uh, does some pretty good work out there. Are you buying that this is going to be kind of a serious portion of what they do in the passing game now? Or are you into the tight ends evolving outside of, you know, Olave and Wilson when they want to go to the air? Yeah, you know, I, I think it really is a matchup type thing. I think it really is it, when, you know, the defense is, is setting it up to, to give them, you know, those options to throw to the tight end, they're, they're going to use it. Because I think, you know, certainly they have two guys they really rely on and, and Jeremy Ruckert and Luke Farrell, who I think, you know, they have a lot of faith in. And, you know, they're certainly willing to throw, throw the ball to. And we've seen that with Ruckert, especially the last couple of weeks. And I, th- I think he's a guy, I think, you know, I think he's a great player. I think he's a guy that, you know, gives you a lot, both a receiver and as a blocker. So I, I think it's going to certainly continue to be a part of the offense. We've seen them use a lot of two tight end sets this year. And I, I don't think that's going to change it at any point this year. Uh, but I, I think it really is a, a, a deal where I don't, I don't think they're necessarily looking for, okay, we want our tight end to be our number three guy. It's more just a matter of, you know, what, what looks are you getting from the defense? And I think the fact that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson have both been performing at such a phenomenal level is opening more and more things up for the tight end. Boy, they looked so good defensively and getting after Clifford and Penn State. And then on Saturday night against Rutgers, you know, you face, you know, athletic quarterback and all that. And it looks like, I mean, they were fine. I mean, Browning looked good. He was showing some speed and took that great angle to cut off uh, Pacheco sprinting to the side. Um, but then you had a couple of these like flukish kind of stuff going on with, you know, Crookshank kind of riding Werner on the way down and staying off the ground for the big gain. You had, uh, the big, the big fella, uh, out dueling Wade for the 50 50 ball. Like your general feel about their defense right now. Well, I mean, like you said, I mean, there, there were a lot of, a lot of trick plays in that game. Rutgers doing a lot of creative different things, which I, I give Rutgers credit for. I mean, they certainly, uh, they, they didn't give up. They were, they were looking for, you know, ways to, you know, fool Ohio State's defense. And I think they were, uh, successful in, in several instances. But, you know, I think it's a work in progress. You know, I think, I think the encouraging thing is, they only gave up three points in the first half. So it, when, when the game was really on the line, you know, Ohio State's defense did what it needed to do. In the second half, uh, there was certainly a lapse, and we've seen that in a couple weeks in a row now. So I think, you know, that's a valid reason for concern. And I think particularly the secondary right now, I, I think there are some real question marks there. And, uh, you know, missed tackles. I mean, we saw it, you know, we saw Marcus Hooker miss a few tackles uh, the year and I, I, I think, you know, missed tackles have been a bit of a problem for his defense this year. And I think the secondary as a whole, you know, I think Sean Wade is having some growing pains moving to that outside cornerback spot. And, and I, you know, I think you lose three guys like Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, and Jordan Fuller. Those guys are hard to replace. And I think we've seen that a little bit this year. But I think, you know, these guys just aren't quite at that level that those guys were at yet. 
and and, and there's still time and I, and I don't think they've necessarily been bad but I think you know we have seen some of these late game lapses uh, and where you know you go into a game like this week against Maryland uh, I think it's going to be a bit of a test for those guys I think they do need to step up their game a little bit you know, Dan, as you know, man, when you don't have a Bosa or a Chase Young coming off the edge, maybe in the next season there's going to be a little bit of a drop-off there with the pass rush. What have you seen from those guys in those key situations on money down when they need to get home? What are your thoughts on the uh, the, the edge rushers so far this season? Yeah, I think they're solid, but I think it's like you said. There's, there's just not a Chase Young. There's not a Bosa right now in that group. I think it's going to be by committee all year long. I think – you know, I, I think what's been encouraging is, you know, I think seeing what Garrett and Togiai have been able to do inside, I think they've been getting more interior pressure than I thought that we might see from the defensive tackles this year. So I think that's been a positive development. You know, I think those ends, you know, I mean, we saw, you know, against Penn State, we saw Jonathan Cooper uh, really have a great game. I, I think he's uh, definitely playing better this year. But, you know, they're, they're not going to – I don't think there's going to be that superstar in that group. There's not going to be that guy who week in and week out is bringing a ton of pressure every game. So I think it's going to be by committee. And, and I think you still – you know, you look at guys – like you look at a guy like a Tyreek Smith, who was a pretty highly touted recruit, and he's in his junior year. And I think he's a guy that I'd look at and say, you know, this is a guy you'd like to see a little bit more from at this point. We're not really seeing him make a ton of big plays. You know, I think Zach Harrison is flashed, but I think some of those other guys you'd still like to see a little bit more from in terms of pass rushing production. All right, it's been uh, mostly as expected, but the Justin Fields, who we knew we'd see this year, um, how much has he exceeded expectations for you? I mean, he's just been so flawless that he has exceeded my expectations, and my expectations were extremely high, but... I mean, just looking at the numbers right now, he's completed like 87% of his passes, uh, 13 total touchdowns, no turnovers. I mean, he has the same amount of passing touchdowns as incompletions right now, 11 on both. So he's just playing at a phenomenal level. And, you know, I'll I'll be honest, I I had said a few weeks ago going into the season, I really thought Justin Fields was going to be playing catch-up in the Heisman race because he, he had less games. But the way he's played now, now he seems to be the Heisman front runner, and, and that's a testament to just how phenomenally, phenomenally he's played yeah. through these first three weeks. Yeah, his efficiency levels is an all-time high, and you know it's almost unfair to him to say eleven incompletions because several of them are just plain drops. They're not really incompletions as far as like on his end. They're mostly on, on the receiver end, which is even scarier that his percentage could be well above ninety. Um, through three games where he almost has a 1,000 yards passing. All right, Dan, great job, man. We'll visit with you again next week. Thank you. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Dan. 11 Warriors. Um, he's right. And it's it's been – we thought that, you know, the Heisman is a certainly a stats race, but from an efficiency level and a touchdown-interception ratio through these three games, he has been the best player in college football. Yeah, man. No, no question. You just see it all with him, right? He absolutely is just checking off all the boxes that you could want as a QB1. And I have to imagine on his end, AR, the game's gotten a little easier, right? You get all those games under your belt a season ago. You come into this year uh, with just all the confidence in the world because, you know, physically, man, you can do it all. And I just think 
you get to this point in his career, the game mentally has probably slowed down for him. And then you got guys on the outside and Olave mm-hmm. and Wilson that are just doing damage week in and week out. And he's getting the ball to them on time in the spots yeah. that he needs to. So, yeah, he's playing some pretty good football yeah. right now, to say the least. Yeah, incredible. All right, we'll come back. NFL two-minute drill. Uh, we'll give you an update on Nick Chubb on what he'll be doing this week and what will Baker Mayfield be doing this week. Question marks there as well. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Can you feel yourself becoming more unproductive? It's because Football Friday is coming. Presented by Byers Auto Group. The Fan. It's time for the NFL Two-Minute Drill. Sponsored by Dr. Mark Levy. Stop snoring and start sleeping now. Visit MarkLevyDDS.com today. All right, Maddie. Drill time. Uh, Baker Mayfield on the COVID-19 reserve list right now. Doesn't mean he's uh, positive. It just means he's come into contact with a staff member who did test positive Saturday for the virus. So he's negative right now. He could return to practice as early as Wednesday morning if he continues to test negative. Browns will play Houston on November 15th, but this is uh, fairly significant as you hope as a Browns fan that he remains negative. Yeah, that's all you can do is yeah. <laughs> cross your fingers and hope. And, you know, I uh, think this is this, uh, where we are with everything. And it's unfortunate. But, you know, if you've got to go to Case Keenum, yeah. then I don't think that's the worst backup situation that you go to. And, no. you know, you've got that strong running game that you can rely on that you won't have to put a lot on his plate if he has to go. So, no, it would be fun to see Baker and Deshaun go at it this week. And you just hope for him, Baker, say that he uh, he's sick, that he makes it healthy through the week. Nick Chubb, who hurt his MCL in week four against the Cowboys, will practice this week. That's the good news. Kareem Hunt took over as their primary back, and he was the workhorse. And But if you get back Chubb, great news. He can be a real difference maker. And so Browns fans have been waiting for this good news. Oh, it's huge, man. This is one of the best running backs in the league, mm-hmm. right? He's averaging 5.9 yards a carry this season. We know what he's about, and the combination of both he and Kareem Hunt really is one of the most dynamic duos you have offensively in the league. So getting him back is just absolutely big time, especially coming off a couple weeks ago where you lose one of your best offensive weapons in Odell. So being able to slow the the game down, playing a little ball control if you have to, it can work out well, I think, for this Browns team. No matter who's playing quarterback, you got these two guys that can get after it. And I saw today as well, AR, that uh, Browns guard Wyatt Teller returned to practice today. So he's been dealing with a cat injury so at least he was back out there so that's good right you get the the offensive line to round into form you get Nick Chubb back that could lead to some good things for the Brownies all right please explain to me how much your team got away with one this weekend with that pick what do you mean it's a pick all day it was <laughs> no of course I mean it wasn't okay I was gonna say I no like, I don't know how what? we got away with it either I mean your coach let's throw the flag let's get it look I mean you, you get that amount of time to look at that so let me get this straight. The offensive guys are the only ones that have to complete a catch all the way through the ground. The defensive guys don't. Like if it sticks so. in their hands like Velcro for a couple seconds while they're falling back and then juggle the ball, it's – it's. I, I it, was surprised. I was. Yeah. I, I got to be honest. It, 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 that's just where we are with the NFL. What's a catch? What's not a catch? They don't know. We don't know. It, it's wild. I, I could not believe that the ruling uh, went that way after the replay and all of that. But it was And wouldn't big, it have been a fumble if they did rule it a catch? Did he wind up fumbling to 
Did the Colts recover it? It was just a hand in there. The go for the Colts had a hand in there the whole way, and he never really had full control, and the ball but, did kind of wiggle out after that, yeah. But who recovered it? Because if it was a catch, oh man, I don't remember who then wasn't there – it could be a clear recovery if – I'll have to go back and look. But, boy, that NFL rule book, man, a lot of torn pages, missing chapters, just how, however they want to fill it in. Crazy. Hey, and the Ravens, you know, they, they leave Indy with a win, but – Bad news, again, for them as far mm-hmm. as injuries go. Calais Campbell, he's yeah. going to miss multiple weeks now with, with a calf injury. So you go into that game, you don't have Marlon Humphrey because of COVID. You lose Ronnie Stanley the week before, and now one of your key contributors on defense, one of your best players on the team, is going to miss multiple weeks. So they're going to have to continue to piece this thing together. Has it been clean, but they've got the six wins so far, but you got to wonder when is this stuff potentially going to catch up with them. Boy, Christian McCaffrey always makes a difference. He was back. He looked pretty good, but now he's injured his shoulder again. Or injured his shoulder now. He's got another injury again, is my point. And he's, they say he's day to day, but most people are saying he's now in doubt for week 10. So yeah. if you held on to Mike Davis, you might have him again. Kyle Allen for Washington, uh, broke a bone in his ankle. So Dwayne moves up the pecking order again, and maybe he'll actually get a chance to play again. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting situation yeah. for sure. But the McCaffrey stuff, man, it's a tough year for him. But Mike Davis has been reliable as a backup. He stepped up, and he definitely surprised me with what he brought to the table this season. I saw this from uh, head coach Frank Reich saying that he still has a level of confidence in Jonathan Taylor. Just it's been interesting, AR. He really didn't grab a hold of that job the way I thought he would. Now, you go up against Baltimore, and that's we know that's a tough defense, but – Man, six carries, 27 yards. I know he's been dealing with an ankle injury here and there throughout the season, mm-hmm. but I, I thought he'd be a lot better with the opportunity yep. uh, that he was given when what Marlon Mack went down with the season injury. Yep. injury. All right, that's the drill. Checkers on a Monday. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this great weather, but keep it locked here on The Fan. This is Rothman and Ice on The Fan.